Look at this place. That's where Tenzin lives. You ready for a little swim, girl? Okay, okay! Food first, then air temple. Watch it, Naga! Look out! Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Avatar Retrospective. But we're not here to talk about any more Last Airbender, no movie adaptations, no James Cameron films. We're here to finally talk about The Legend of Korra. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today is my co-host, Matt Garingo. That's me. I'm back, folks. Even though for people out there in uh, podcast land, there's probably been no break. No, no. There, there's going to be a little break for the holidays. Uh, I, I've been uploading pretty regularly. I'm glad to see uh, a consistent audience everywhere except YouTube. So thank you, everyone, who's been <laughs> tuning out. Don't know what's happened. I'm actually very frustrated because I think this is the best run of episodes, the most consistent run of all the podcasts I've been doing on the YouTube. And it's just hit a brick wall. So thank you to SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes, everyone. Hey, what are you going to do, folks? Yeah. We're probably getting buried by that person who made that three-hour video, Everything Wrong with the Legend of Korra. No, I I need to clickbait one because I bet these episodes are going to be just as quality, and by that I mean running longer than the actual episodes we're here to talk about. Just just put Tenzin canceled, and then make that the <laughs> thumbnail. <laughs> and then why why you're a loser nerd virgin who doesn't like Legend of Korra? Yeah, sure. There that'll, you go. That'll win them over. Yep. <laughs> but like I was saying, for the people out there, there's all right. I guess there's a little bit of a holiday break. Um, don't know how long that is, but for us, it has been, um, a few months since we picked up this thread. <laughs> uh, we did, uh, we did the uh, Last Airbender movie, I believe back at the beginning of October. Is that accurate? October or the end of September. We had to do it because it was leaving Netflix. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so probably the end of of September then. And because we were of like, that. we can't pay. We neither of us want to pay for this, so we have to. And then we did our Texas Chainsaw thing like right before um, Halloween. And so this is the first time we've recorded since the election has happened. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was just like this dark cloud in the distance, getting closer and closer. Yeah, that was a rough, uh, rough week. <laughs> Was, uh, no, I, I I went to some dark places in preparation for that. Like you know, like nothing nothing to to be concerned about, but just you know, it's a, it's a lot to weigh on you. I got uh, uh, mentally and emotionally. Yeah, I had a rough um, the night of election because uh, it swung red in like the three states that we that like were important like way early and. No, everyone's like no more election talk but um <laughs> i like literally that night like i was like i was like waking up like after like like i had had a panic attack and shit like that night and then the next day i was like all right i, I put i turned my phone off and put it in a drawer <laughs> and then i just went downstairs and just like found every long movie i own <laughs> and just started <laughs> watching them and i just kind of powered through and then by the time i had come out of that um the blue shift had happened so and by then it was like i was looking like he like biden was getting higher numbers than he was estimated to and then i was like all right it's pretty much over 
But then, like, it, you know, because of fucking counting. Y'all talk shit about Philly. <laughs> Not anymore. But Gritty, Gritty saved the election. Yeah, he totally did. He fucking, <laughs> I was going to say ate the ballots, but I don't want to <laughs> give any credit to the people who think there was actually any rigs rigging going on. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, but I, I bring it up mainly because a, it's like, it feels like we're already in another world between just like when we recorded in July to now. <laughs> like, I feel like I've already like lost my mind like six more times. <laughs> um, also we're in the middle of like COVID fucking surging. So, I know. which isn't great. Um, but the other thing is that I, this weird thing happened where, when Trump lost, you know, not only did, like, the weight of that fucking idiot, like, suddenly lift off my mind, like, but the other thing is that I realized that what it really did was it didn't bring, I don't think we've brought a closure to the Trump era just yet, but yeah, it, no. it does feel like we finally closed the book completely on the Obama era, if that makes sense. No matter how you slice trump's trump winning it was entirely a backlash to obama i mean that's mainly what that election was you know to all the just insane shit that happened in his era and people completely losing faith in the democrats in that era no i can't remember feeling more like hopeless than when like those last few years of obama where he was like doing awful shit like regularly (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. and like that was when like that's, you know, Ferguson started. And I think to me, because Trump was so tied into the Obama era that his election is like a footnote to I mean, his presidency is like the epilogue to hit to Obama's presidency, if that makes sense. And the other thing that like gave me that kind of cultural shock is like how Hamilton came out on Disney Plus recently. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you had a lot of people watching it for the first time and I'm, I'll defend Hamilton because I like musicals and I, I defend Hamilton in the same way I defend the John Adams miniseries oh no man. Like, yeah I just like I like historic shit even when it's complete bullshit like I, I just get a kick out of that like those are my guilty pleasures but I also don't believe it's representative of reality in any way like, I don't believe either depict anything worthwhile, but it's interesting to see how that shift happened and how Hamilton is viewed from when it premiered to it finally going on Disney Plus in the last year of Trump, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like this whole, like, there's this weird attitude I think a lot of liberals had in, like, the Obama years where we felt like we crossed the finish line. Mm-hmm. You know, like even someone who was like very critical of of Obama, like myself, kind of like let that attitude kind of seep into my brain. And now we've learned that that is very much not true. <laughs> and I, I bring all this up because I think Legend of Korra is a very Obama era show. I think it is very reflective of that era. Now, does that mean it's good or bad? I feel like we'll find that out as we're revisiting it. <laughs> but I feel like it its it feels like if this show premiered just slightly later, 
it wouldn't work. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, this, this could only premiere in the year Obama wins re-election. It can't come at, like, the last few years of Obama or the first few years of Trump. You can't do... Like, you just can't do this show. <laughs> and we will s- see how that continues while we're covering later seasons of the show as well, but... I'm actually very glad you brought up politics at the forefront of the retrospective for once. (laughs) Because, yeah, this season, I think, um, oddly enough, gets the most praise. And I say oddly enough because I agree with everything you're saying. And I think oftentimes, in ways the series never had before, it's a little more confused thematically and politically. All right, and I I think it's 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 kind of messy, and so to get into the actual series right now, if I can, I need to explain that within the first five minutes, I was already kind of choking up with the nostalgia <laughs> and excitement of being back in this world, anyways. Um. Well, I have to say something, which is that I remember this season as being really rough. That it was one of those where, like, the first season's rough, but, like, it starts finding its footing later. Um, so I kind of went into it kind of in the way when I watched uh, The Dark Knight and, like, I had, like, all my um, defenses up. Like, I'm like, I'm not going to let myself enjoy this movie this time. I want to be really critical of it. Here's the thing. I'm just all right. I only watched. I only rewatched the first five episodes because I feel like if I watch ahead for six episodes, I should say, which is what we're covering. Um, I only watched the first six because I feel like if I watch ahead, I'm just gonna start bringing up stuff from that too early. Like I didn't want to like tamper with you know how I talked about these episodes. I think these six episodes were really solid in a way I didn't respect when they initially aired, or even when I revisited them a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was caught off guard by that. I think this I think this actually started out on a much better foot than I gave it credit for. There's a couple things that give this season its strength. Because I, I, I think I'll be the more critical one of this series, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you follow me on Twitter... That does not always seem to be the case. <laughs> um, but it's because I love the show and because so much of it does end up working from my recollection of it. And I think the sheer wonder and frustration is so like embedded into the early era of the show. Where it's not just how does Avatar Korra like, ascend as her own like Avatar identity... But also, how does the show, like, come to grips with its new reality? Like, how does it fit into all of this? Can the show fit into, like, can, can this, like, mythology continue, you know? Does that make sense? Am I, well, am I, I talking out of my butt I, No, I, I get where you're coming from. It's To me, it's that it's a show about what if you're the Avatar in a world that's moved on from the Avatar. Which is exactly what's happened. Mm-hmm. It's like it's moved away from a very religious world to a much more secular world. Um, and that's very interesting. Like, how do you how do you find your place in it? And uh, I think that leads to it tackling a lot of interesting ideas. I also think it does what I think a lot more series should do 
especially when they make like a follow-up, where you set up all these rules for a fantasy world, and then you go like, all right, now you have to actually live in it. Mm-hmm. And then you really challenge those ideas. Because there's a lot of stuff that like you just bring up because, you know, first Avatar Last Airbender is just like a fun kid fantasy adventure film uh, show. And it's going to introduce ideas that don't hold up under a ton of scrutiny, but they're not really supposed to, you know? Because that's just mm-hmm. a, it's just an adventure show. I'm not saying that Avatar Last Airbender is just an adventure show, but it is much more explicitly just for that children audience. Whereas this show, it seemed to grow up a little bit. While still being like a family-friendly show, this definitely does feel like it's matured in a way that maybe other series don't always. The Last Airbender feels like... It feels like a, a kid's fantasy adventure show. I think this show feels like something straight out of Toonami. Yeah. Like, down to, like, the aesthetics. Like, the, it's a very steampunk show, you know? Like, I, that's actually some of the criticism I've seen a lot of. That, like, oh, it lost touch with, like, the the nature-infused elements of the original series. And it's like, wow, that might be kind of, like... Maybe the that might be intentional. I don't... Thing. Yeah, like, fucking, whatever. We're going to get to bad fan complaints eventually, but I do want to start praising it now because I think it came off a little strong. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, the, the 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 stuff revolving around Avatar, Korra, and uh, her character's struggles, like, she's the complete inverse of Aang. You know, Aang didn't want to be the Avatar, and from the moment we meet Korra, she's like, I'm the, her first line is literally... I'm the Avatar, and you've got to deal with it. Yeah. You it's know? like a mission statement in, like, the first <laughs> fucking minute of the show. And, you know, it's it's about her carving out her own identity as the Avatar, and who is she apart from the Avatar. And, also, and that, that's, that's it, an element we'll see continue throughout the series. It very explicitly sets her up as the inverse of Aang. Where she's, she excels at the physical side of things, and she's very happy to be the Avatar, whereas Aang was the more reluctant hero. Where here Korra, like, is, like, very much wants to go out, like, I'm the Avatar, fuck you, like... <laughs> and, but she struggles with the more spiritual side of it. I mean, they basically... that They straight up just say that yeah. in the first and, episode. And uh, where Aang got to explore and see the world from a young age, even before he was... Um... Like, had to be thrust into the, the savior of the world role, you mm. know? Like, he, he just got to live as the air nomads, and they got to go everywhere, right? Korra is isolated to, like, the the South Pole. Yeah. And that's, like, it. And it doesn't look like she has that much freedom, because she has to ask to leave with her pet polar bear dog, Naga. Yeah. You know, for a run in the afternoon. Like, that's that's not a great sign of how overprotective and overbearing... The rules are for for her as an avatar, you know. Well, again, you have to remember she's like she's like a walking god, so <laughs> like it, people are probably very protective of the walking god. Um, and I guess if you if you look into expanding universe stuff, that's like the traditional way they handle avatar stuff, where like the avatar kind of has to go away for a few years. And I mean, and that's set up in um, Last Airbender, where we learn about um, the avatar before Aang. Oh, yeah, yeah, with Roku. Yeah, we learn about Roku, and he kind of goes on, like, a similar thing where, like, once they find out he's the Avatar, he has to go away to, like, learn all the elements, and then he can come back and be the Avatar. 
Um, whereas Korra, she's mastered the first three, but hasn't mastered air. She can't get a handle on it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that, that confinement with tradition is another big element of the series, specifically in this season, where um, tradition might not always be the best uh, path to knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, enlightenment, I guess. It's, sometimes it, it can be a, a, like a literal prison here. <laughs> Katara's in the first episode. I guess we could just yeah. throw that out there. Katara, and uh, it, there's a very sad moment, um, not to jump ahead too much, but she tells Korra, like, you know, like, Aang and a lot of her friends are gone, and it's like, that's kind of a, just a sad thing, you know? But I mean, like, ideally, like, in the perfect world, the next generation, like, once they've kind of played their part in uh, saving the world, they would feel comfortable handing it off to the next one, you know? Like, yeah. that's... That's that's a that's a sign of good things. Death and, um, comes for everyone, kids. That's it's <laughs> the lesson to take away here. We will see that not all of the friends are gone yeah. as the series continues. Without spoiling it, that becomes a thing that got on my nerves a little bit the first time around. Mm-hmm. I was like, how? Why did everyone else hold on, and why did the the people that didn't hold on make it? You know. <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. it, to me, it was there's a couple where it's like, oh, I, oh, sure, they didn't make it, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you know, Ang, I get it. His bot, he was fucked up, like by you, you before need, he turned thirteen. You need Ang to be dead so the show can work. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, it makes sense for him to be gone because, like, not just because of that, but like, just like you know, cut to like every time he got royally fucked up in the last show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that kid went through a lot. I hope he, I hope yeah. he passed away in his sleep. <laughs> yeah, for real. Because uh, I'm surprised he made it to 50, honestly. <laughs> it's like fucking poor Abe Lincoln. Where it was like he's <laughs> like fucking 10 years and 4 years. Yeah. It was like he was like he asked John Wilkes Booth to shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I do shit anymore. <laughs> You guys can handle reconstruction, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, totally. Well, you know what he asked me? He's like, you guys are also assassinating the vice president, right? And Wilkes Booth's like, yeah, totally. I put a, my top man on it. And he's like, great. But then that guy got <laughs> drunk and didn't go through with it. So then we got the worst president in U.S. history, which is saying something. <laughs> I don't know. We're coming off a real winner right now. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Hey, he'll make the top five. <laughs> you mean bottom five? Eh, whatever. Top five. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess we should mention uh, some of the cast. I mean, Janet Varney is the voice of Korra this time around. Yeah, another another whitey. Yeah, off awful lot of honkies in this yeah. season. Um, but but to to the credit, if this never happens again, I will praise her for being genuinely very good. In the role of Avatar Korra. No, she's great. Like, like, her voice acting is really great. The only problem is because she's also a stand-up comedian. And that's just her voice. Like, she's not oh. doing a voice. <laughs> so that is her voice. So whenever I hear her doing comedy, to me, it's like I imagine that, like, when all this shit was over, Korra decided to go on a stand-up comedy career. Because <laughs> it just sounds like Korra. Well, like, in the Tumblr days, because I guess Janet Varney was, like, on this comedy web series about, like, uh, I think it was making fun of, like, Big Brother or something like that. Mm. 
and and she played like a like a lesbian in that like oh. a repressed lesbian and so they matched clips from Janet Varney's character to Avatar Korra and oh, it's yeah. just yeah I know um, what you're talking about it is delightful <laughs> there was a lot of that i mean where tumblr will actually play probably a big part in this series <laughs> Oh, oh boy, will it! I, think we were <laughs> I all, got a history there. Yeah, I was, I was on there. I mean, and I, and I, I remember the hype and everyone being excited. I remember the memes, and uh, I, I, to be honest though, I must have gotten lucky because I somehow missed how large the hate them was. Like it I got, knew- it got bigger as it went along, and thankfully, so did, so did the, the positive mm-hmm. groups, you know. And there's always like very like I'll, I'll put some, some I'll share some posts as these episodes go up in in early 2021, but like my favorite post ever about Legend of Korra it just totally encapsulates my feelings on it. It's like yeah you know not a perfect show but like I you know I, I have a really real appreciation for it. Great characters, great arcs. You know I I enjoyed my time with it. Then you read some slight criticism of it. It's like no actually the show is perfect. And yeah, you're wrong. yeah I know yeah you want to double down. Yeah. <laughs> like fuck you. How dare yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, really. That that's what it kind of comes down to. Like, no, it's not perfect, but I'm uh, really, fuck I'm off. Really not that militant about things I like, you know. Like, I jokingly will threaten people because that's what I find funny. But yeah. you know, it's like other than Jaws, I don't get that defensive. Yeah, like it, I I'm proud to say I think I've gotten a lot better about that. Mm-hmm. But with this show, I will definitely you know like hardened shell like get well, behind me avatar i remember i i tried to get a friend into star wars and like they came back to me like it wasn't for me and i was like okay <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile if if someone was like I, I tried to watch uh i tried to watch legend of Korra. i thought it was sucked i'd be like just we're fucking throwing down <laughs> and i just start loading a shotgun yeah he's like what'd you say <laughs> And I don't, I don't totally know why. Maybe this was just like the right because like this show premieres like right after I graduate from high school. So. Oh my god! Yeah, the next year. Yeah, like it, it. I feel like that maybe played a part in all this. Mm-hmm. You know, going to community college every day and just being like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I'm a failure because I don't know what to do at age nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> And cut to like almost a decade later, and it's still just like I'm confused. <laughs> I don't know what to do, but no one else seems to, so I feel more comfortable in my indecision. Yeah, kids, that's basically what it's like to grow up. Yeah. So don't worry about it. Yeah, Dan Doherty, don't worry. <laughs> You're fine. You're fucking twenty-one or whatever. How old you are? I don't even know. You're fine. <laughs> right now, uh, but to time. get back. To just fuck around. <laughs> to get back a little bit more to the character stuff, uh, I had forgotten that like we don't really meet a lot of the characters. We meet about half of the cast in the first episode, mm-hmm. and then half the cast in the second episode. Um, and I, I didn't go over it in this one, but if you're if you're watching this or listening to this, then you know we're going over the first six episodes, the first half of book one, Air, for Legend of Korra. Second half will be in the next episode, and uh, we'll talk about this stuff there. But yeah, the cast is, isn't like it's slowly accumulated. Yeah, uh, not as slowly as in the last Airbender, which which also kind of might be one of my issues with this season, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> it's uh, might it, it kind hold of back on that shit a little bit. <laughs> <clears throat> but anyways, uh, we'll yeah, see. we we meet. I don't know we how meet. I feel. 
Okay, okay. Well, we meet uh, Tenzin, who is Aang's son, voiced by J.K. Simmons, another whitey. Another but it's J.K. Simmons. Yeah, it's hard to not be like, it's like, that's the thing. It's like all these guys, like a bunch of white guys, and it's like, they're white. But it's J.K. Simmons. Like, yeah. It's like every time it happens. Yeah. Three years from the release of this pilot episode, uh, he will be saying goddamn time-traveling robots in a Terminator sequel. So, look, I take my J.K. Simmons where I can get him. He was in a Terminator sequel? He's in Terminator Genesis. Jesus Christ. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, God. Why? We do not treat J.K. Simmons well enough. No, no. Like it's a... like after Whiplash, everyone started taking like him for granted yeah. again. Yeah, fucking... Ugh. Maybe he'll actually get to do something in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Like, I'll forgive any sins of that movie if he just fucking has, like, one good scene in it. I want him to, like, punch a hole through, like, an alien or something like that, you know? I don't know if I want that, No, I... Because his characters tend to be a little more bloodthirsty. I would like like, to see him just unleashed. But he's not a master of the physical. He's a master of the fucking word. Like, he's just great at delivering dialogue. (laughs) All right, all right. I I want him to give, like, a great monologue where he's like... Batman, I bo- I always believed in you, but I just can't follow you here. And he gives some fucking speech, but his <laughs> wife left him or some bullshit. And, and just like, and you're like, oh my god, give him another Oscar. And it's like, instead, he's like, probably just gonna fucking suplex some guy. <laughs> <laughs> if he suplexes a parademon, <laughs> then it'll be the best DCEU movie. I will be only I will only be satisfied if he beats Steppenwolf. <laughs> Just fucking kickboxes Steppenwolf to death. <laughs> um, also in this cast, who do you know who plays Tenzin's wife? I did not know this. Um, yeah, I literally just found it out. <laughs> okay, so we found out literally like at the same time. It's uh, fucking Maria Bamford. Um, yeah. Another great comedian. Wow. <laughs> How did that happen? How did that get by? She's a great voice actress because she can really disguise her voice. I mean. Yeah, she is fantastic. Have you seen Lady Dynamite, Lady Dynamite on Netflix? Lady Dynamite is fantastic, and I recommended it to all my friends, and they were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, because, you know, Netflix isn't great at promoting their shit. Uh, Lady Dynamite's great. Mm-hmm. Everyone watch Lady Dynamite. Got canceled, only two seasons. 20 episodes, um, please watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, I was. I did not realize that was her until I was rereading who was on this fucking show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's, also, there's a great moment where uh, Tenzin shows up, and uh, someone goes, like, they were talking about, oh, we've been talking about all these stories of Avatar Aang, and blah, blah, blah. He's like, what, tell us the story of uh, Zuko's mom. And like, oh, that's a long story full of great adventure. And then some fucking shenanigans interrupt it. I might be mistaken, but I think they're even interrupted by like a, a record scratch sound. Something does it. And to me, that was like a like it's almost a little too antagonistic with the audience. And trying to be like, yeah, that's, that's not what this show's about. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I'm glad to get it out there like right away. But it does feel like if. You showed up, maybe maybe if you were going to make a video called Everything Wrong with the Legend of Korra, and that happened five minutes in, you'd probably turn on the series pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
yeah, it, it might be a little too antagonistic, but you know what? Considering how much like fandom gets coddled nowadays, yeah. I, I welcome it with open arms. Fuck them. Sorry, you know, like, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> you know, fuck them kids. Like, <laughs> but like, yeah, you know, like this kind of has the Star Wars sequel trilogy problem in that. I mean, in terms of fandom, where it's like, well, you know, I wanted to see the adventures of, like, the the other cast, and it's like, well, then you could watch that original series, can't you? You know? Like, that's... And, hey, there's a very solid comic book out there. (laughs) Yep. There there you go. That, like, you know, it's like when people ask for, like, oh, I want to see a Darth Vader movie, like, you know, when he was younger. It's like, (laughs) there's three of those. That one's the best, though. Oh, no, it's hilarious, but it's also, like, it's the best one to dunk, because it's like, well... You got about six hours of that waiting yeah. for you. It's called and no the prequel one liked trilogy, it, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you got. And what you so, wanted. like, I, I think with shows like this, where they have such high expectations for them, you almost have to put your expectations aside, not to not criticize, because like we we're talking about already, there's there's maybe some skeletons in these closets, but like, you you have to accept what it is going forward. You can if, if you can't like jive with it, if you can't meet it halfway, I'll even say that's okay, but like don't complain about it being something it's not. Yeah. You have to you always have to come to terms with what it is. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're gonna criticize it. Yeah, because if you're saying like, well, you know, Kara's not as calm headed as Aang, like, you should probably stop talking yeah. for a while. Like take five, come back again, try again tomorrow. Think and about we'll why see where we can go from out. there. We're not gonna mm-hmm. tell you, but you gotta put those pieces together yourself. We're trying to teach you a lesson. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's that, that thing where it's like there's that there's a fairly popular meme of like Korra's worst avatar. Cause she's always fucking up, and it's like, that's the fucking show. <laughs> like I know, like <laughs> Like, God, it's so, it's it's stupid. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't even spend any more time on those because they're just dumb complaints. Yeah. But like, I'm yeah. gonna I'll go in harder as as we get into it. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there'll be opportunities for sure. Mm-hmm. Tenzin shows up and he's immediately like, "I can't train you because there's shit going down in Republic City. We're having problems." Which we I guess we should tell what Republic City is. Oh yeah. Um. But uh, Republic City. And we'll, we'll meet the rest of Tanzan's family right now. I'll, I'll kind of do a quick rundown of that. But, like, Republic City is a region of the the Fire Nation conquered Earth Kingdom that was um, used by Avatar Aang and Fire Lord Zuko to kind of form, like, a central hub for all benders and nations alike to come together as, like, a nation state, essentially. And it, it welcomed everyone. It's, it's the four nations. It's the I- ideal platonic version of uh like the un it's kind of i guess yeah. like if the un was like an actual like nation state yeah the un and... which never makes any mistakes ever and mm-hmm. has been around roundly been a success in the past 50 years or whatever but that's a that's a lot of that is covered in the uh the comic book the legend i mean uh the avatar the last airbender comic is it's centered around that Oh really? Okay. See, because I, I guess, again, like I've never read that, and that that's pretty interesting. Like I would read, actually want to read that. I've only read about half of it, and I guess part of what happened was in in this in the story, it's actually really interesting. Um, 
I don't think it totally works. I feel like I want them to take the comic and then rewrite it, and then that's what you could make into a movie <laughs> if you're going to do <laughs> one because there's, like, a ton there. But uh, from what, what happened was, so after the war, it was like, all right, the Fire Nation has to hand back all these colonies, you know, because, like, they've been colonizing the Earth Kingdom forever. And it's like, they got to return to the Earth Kingdom. And this one colony's like, hey, we, we, we don't, we don't want to give up. And then it's like, well, you have to. It's a treaty. And it's like, well, we've been here so long that now, like, our families have, like, intermingled. Like, so now it's like families are both firebending and earthbending. And you'd be dividing families if you split it up that way. And it becomes, like, this issue of, like, what do you do with these these kingdoms, these cities? And I guess what we find out is Aang's just like, all right, now it's a free city. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, like... That's a hard nut to crack. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of this show is about how the, the handing off of power to to, to other generations mm. isn't a cut and dry solution to a lot of the world's problems. I don't know what else I would do in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that's that's kind of a best case scenario in my opinion. Complicated, you know? complicated issue, and definitely do not try to make any real world comparisons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those, do not do that. Those play out a lot differently. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of the foundation for Republic City. Yeah, and I think actually one of the best things this, this season does uh, right off the bat is that they start getting acclimated to Republic City and let let you know very early on that like th- this is where we're spending yeah, our Re- time. Republic City just looks great, too. Yeah, like, there's I this just... great atmosphere. It's like it, it's got this whole nature park, you know, with the that the Avatar Ang statue in the bay too. It's kind of like Golden Gate Bridge hanging over the bay. Um and then the, like there's this like thick like fogginess at night that kind of makes it like almost like a noir. It honestly looks a lot like fucking New York and Once Upon a Time in America. Which is high oh, praise God, yeah. coming from me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, high praise and maybe kind of like a hint at the seedier elements going forward yep. in the season. Because, Doesn't get, uh, I should just give a heads up to anyone who has it. It does not get as seedy as Once Upon a Time in America, which is no, one of the no. films you'll ever watch. But, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, 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 but for a kid's show, it does not like, it doesn't pull its punches as often as you think it would. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, I also want to touch a little bit more on Tenzin's family because they are the, obviously, Aang's kids and grandkids, and they are the last group of airbenders on the planet. Mm. And uh, Tenzin's much more rigid than Aang was, and, um, I think one of the best characters uh, across the, the Avatar, like, series, like, bar none. Like, I, I really love the conflict this character has going forward, where it's like, yeah, he's like a stern asshole in the beginning, but, like... The pressure that he must have had, like, growing up. The son of not just the Avatar, but the last airbender. And he's like, son, when you grow up, you're going to have to carry on this legacy. You're going to be the last airbender. (laughs) Like, that's just, like, that that pressure is insurmountable, you know? What's great about it is how they slowly wheel that information out. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not like he doesn't say that openly, you know? Like, you yeah. start slowly getting, like, bits and pieces, and you start putting together who Tenzin is as a person. And I think that was something that Last Airbender did, but because those characters, I don't want to say weren't 
super complicated, but I don't think they were complicated in a way a lot of characters are in this series. So I think it was a little easier for people to deal with, like, the, the little bits of information. Whereas here, it felt like, and maybe it was just because it was the Tumblr era, I felt like people were a lot quicker to ju jump to judgments for these characters than trying uh, to piece together what was going on. Uh, I think so, because that's when you get the actually, you know, canceled era of Tumblr, mm -hmm. you know? You know, like when problematic it's like I, I can't watch that it's problematic you know and that's not what problematic means yeah <laughs> you know problematic just means like hey there's some iffy stuff here it's important to acknowledge uh whereas like i flashed back to a conversation we had during the final episode of our last airbender recording where you brought up that you know ang conflict with killing ozai wasn't just that he was raised not to murder he's a pacifist but also that him killing essentially end the last airbenders because then how is he how could he feel comfortable passing on that knowledge and experience when he's already broken it yeah you know yeah, it was, and it was like more I, than I, just I, murdering that guy <laughs> yeah and that's not a, a subject that people bring up a lot about the killing like uh, ang avoiding killing ozai in the finale mm -hmm. and so I, I was really taken back by that in a positive way whereas like here like, from the get-go, yeah, these characters feel like they have that level of complexity, like, already, yeah. you know? Um, maybe maybe not to the same extent, but, like, there's a lot going on. And as the series progresses, um, we it starts unfolding. Or at least the season, it starts unfolding, like, pretty rapidly. The pacing's, like, a lot better than I remember. Yeah, like, same. I, I, got way, I got into it a lot easier than I did last time around. Yeah, because, like, the pro-bending stuff, I think, is the point of contention for a lot of people in that, like, a lot of the, the complaints were about, like, well, it's just, like, a it's an action-oriented show now, whereas Whoa. The Last Airbender was about more than stuff like Whoa. that, and I, I disagree Whoa. with that's that. That's the worst complaint I've ever heard. Cause oh, they, they get worse. Don't worry. That's awful. Well, that's just, like, completely, like, ignoring why anyone watched Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you did not put on when you were a child <laughs> you didn't put on avatar the last airbender because you wanted this complex story about some kid who was a god who had to fucking fight a one-man war as a pacifist <laughs> and you watched it because you're like oh it would be cool to shoot fire from my hands or fly like that's why you watched the show initially and then you you stay because of that that other shit <laughs> and it's that show is so front loaded with action like i don't know that's that's crazy to me that that yeah yeah i get that like pro bending it kind of goes like all right here's the pro bending scene again because it's kind of the same actions over and over again mm -hmm. i could see that complaint but the complaint that like oh it's now an action series it's like dude it always was <laughs> uh and i i'm actually very happy with uh how, like, at least in, in the first um, big moment, uh, Chapter 2, A Leaf in the Wind, the pro-bending stuff weaves its way into the narrative. Where it's, yeah. it's, it's that tradition versus, like, experience uh, kind of confrontation between Korra. Like, I can't, I, I don't know how to think like, like an airbender. I don't know how to think more casually and calmly. But this allows her to express herself and maneuver in uh in ways that she hasn't before and my uh 
in, in a more healthy manner, you know, yeah, yeah. to express herself because she likes punching shit. Avatar Aang was a pacifist and Korra only understands violence. <laughs> like, you know, those memes of like those cats that are like all angry with like the captions, father, I crave violence. Yeah. Like that's Korra as a child. That's, yeah, that's, not, you know? that's not inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I gotta say is, though, um, I'd like that Katara is, like, the final bit of encouragement for Korra to uh, leave and just sneak onto the boat and sneak to Republic City. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, that's, like, Katara's, like, last thing. Yeah. Like, well, like, that was... What were you saying? <laughs> oh. Oh, okay, I thought you had to call or something. Um, well, you know, that was, that was Korra, you know? Like, I mean, that was Katara. Mm-hmm. Like, she was the one who was, like... Hey, the way this is working is wrong, and I think we should change it. And everyone's like, "Whoa, whoa, you can't!" Yeah. And then she just did anyways. So it's like, All right, it makes... I'm gonna go pretend to be a ghost. Yeah, I'm gonna go do eco terrorism. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend to be a ghost to justify my eco terrorism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Katara and Poison Ivy would get along great, I think. They probably would. Uh, although yeah. it, there would be that moment where Katara would be like, "That's actually going too far." Like when fucking jet was gonna flood the town full of children yeah yeah but i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean come on this poison ivy um, always goes a little bit too far i yeah. like that uh, I, I like that our world has gotten so awful that like poison ivy is more sympathetic than batman <laughs> i know <laughs> batman should be canceled but poison ivy kind of owns yeah exactly <laughs> um well, I also like that uh, Korra has parents. Like, a, a lot of yeah. times in these fantasy adventures, it's like, oh, the mom died or the dad died tragically while, like, doing revenge or something or we trying to protect his family. We still get some of that. Um, oh, no, we, 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 we do with, with the rest of the supporting cast. But, like, no, Korra just has, um, like, a, a mostly stable, like, home yeah. life. And that doesn't mean her struggles are any less difficult, though. You know, like, I, I just like that we have that spread of characters it is kind of nuts that like just a few gen- like a hundred years ago it was like every family had like three siblings that didn't make it to adulthood <laughs> and like a, and like a parent who like got run over by like a horse or something like every- well i mean i mean like that that's still uh that, that's a, something i still hear or like not not too much anymore but like when i was younger i heard a lot about that from like relatives or, or something you know like i would hear stories about like the mexican revolution and how like they would hide relatives in like rice barrels and stuff like that to hide from soldiers yeah. and stuff like, and like how not everyone always made it you know to safety and stuff like that and my, my family it's, was, it's relevant my family sure. was italian they all just dropped dead at 50 <laughs> <laughs> it's unrelated to any health issues right that just happens yeah, when you're it's, italian it's it's the law Oh, okay. You're 100 yeah. percent Italian. You have to drop that at 50. The calzones—they betray me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's because like actually, I think that's part of it. Where it's like you know, she's growing up in a lot safer world than Avatar Ang did. There's not mm-hmm. a war going on yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, she, she's not living in a place where, like, the fucking water tribes... Like, now the water tribes are kind of back, you know? They, they, mm-hmm. looked like, they looked like they were doing pretty good. Yeah, I mean, compared to the first episode of Last Airbender, where, like, in our recording, I was like, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> like, I remembered it being bigger. 
here's the here's the were, were they southern or northern i can't remember now they were the southern tribe yeah, the southern. northern tribe is the the big yeah. battle one because it was like here's the southern water tribe it's 12 people <laughs> <laughs> like oh yeah geez. and now it's like a robust like nation again yeah everything's great now and i'm sure it'll stay that way Yep, I'm sure there's no problems whatsoever. No oh, problems. and uh, the the rest of Tenzin's family, I also just want to mention, um, he has <laughs> three kids and another baby on the way. The first kid is Janora, who is like the ideal like daughter who, who listens to her parents and is very book smart and everything like that. And then there's Iki, who is like the caffeinated child. And then Milo... Who's like Aang if he was a crazy person. <laughs> He's like Aang if he had Boomy's personality. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, which is fantastic. That that kid is so fucking... All the kids are fucking great. And on this rewatch, it really settled with me how much I love them as characters. Yeah, and I, I, I'm, I'm glad they get more as the series goes on. Like they don't yeah, yeah. Behind. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something that you kind of feel like that could have happened in other hands. But yeah, I yeah. remember that these kids are still characters. Even if they, even this isn't like the child friendly story. I don't want to say not child friendly, but like not child centric story that Last Airbender was. Yeah, and it's it's really fucking difficult to have this many characters and have them all feel like they have their own identities. Because we haven't even gotten to like Mako and Bolin yet. Yeah. Um and they're like the other main, or or Asami, which we will get to shortly too. Yeah, we're but still like, on the first episode. Yeah, or Lin, and you see what I'm getting at. There's a lot of characters here, and I, I, I I'm not gonna say I don't remember the show mismanaging them a couple times, but like on the up and up, like generally these these characters are well served. By like from what I remember, Here's you know, and that's thing. not always the case with the cast this large. And this might shock some people, considering some of the characters. Here's something I th- I think about this cast, like this group. I like these characters so much. The story could be dog shit, <laughs> and I would still like the story. I would still like the show. I mean, because mm-hmm. I like these characters. <laughs> yeah, like every once in a while, you get something with just the right amount of, like, lovability from its cast, that it's like, you can kind of just watch them do anything, you yeah. know? Like, I know you're not a fan, but I I loved Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. Angel Angel less so with his characters, not not quite the goldmine, but, like, there are some rough episodes of Buffy, but it was just fun to see those characters, like, do some dumb adventure. For There's like some rough 40 episodes minutes. of Buffy, and I just happened to watch all of them. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't even stop you from dunking because of I, recent events. Buffy, yeah, you know, I know everyone like hates Jeff yeah. now and all that shit. But, like, Buffy, I, I understand why people love it. I just feel like I missed the window where I could have enjoyed it. You know? mm-hmm. Kind of like Supernatural, yeah. which also went through some shit recently. Oh, yeah. Well... I mean, that was, like, always just bound to happen. Like, I saw that coming, like, ten years ago. <laughs> we're revisiting Korra, and, like, it feels like we're in the middle of, like, a reevaluation of, like, every show that was popular when Korra was out, you know? This was Sherlock. Yeah. Sherlock came out this same year. Yeah, well, it was, like... That, that was... lasted, like, five years. <laughs> it was, like, Sherlock, Doctor Who, Supernatural, and something else. I can't remember what the other show was. Um, oh, the Super Hulak, right? Yeah, that was the yeah. Tumblr thing? Oh my the, god. That was the thing. And 
this and then Cora was like, "Can I have some?" And they were like, "No." But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna say of that bunch, I think Cora might come out on top compared to all those shows. Oh, there is no comparison. Um, I think people would have some arguments for Doctor Who, but I think that era of Doctor Who was uh, very rough in a lot of places. I I, I tapped out of Doctor Who in that era. Um, I I have a soft spot for it just because it's super fucking nerdy and, like, the concept is, you know, rock solid. But, like, I'm just done for a little while. To enjoy Doctor Who now? Watch every couple years? No, what you do is you wait until the season's over. And then you look up what episodes people liked. Okay. And then you just uh, watch them. Well, and, and not to not to get on another tangent, never on this show, right? Yeah, but uh, every actor who's played the Doctor is is a genuinely like great actor. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's ever been one that I haven't wanted to see do other things. It's never been. It was never the actor's pro- fault. Any anytime that show ran into problems. Yeah, 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 totally. It was never the Doctor I had the problems with. Mm usually other things but hey what if Stephen Moffat everyone still likes Stephen Moffat right what if, what if he took over Avatar no no you know I don't even no. know what, I don't even know enough about the guy anymore to dunk on him correctly like back then I would have been like yeah Moffat would have been like meh but now I'm like Probably would have had a weird attitude about women, but, like, I don't know anything specific about it anymore. Now, all, all the women in his stuff just have, like, dark secrets that they need to unravel. Like, yeah. his women aren't characters, they're mystery boxes. Yeah. yeah that that right. was his problem. That was that was a big problem. Um, yeah. Could have, could have done better with that. Mm-hmm. Remember when he wrote Tintin? Oh, what? He wrote Tintin with, like, Edgar Wright and someone else. Oh, so, oh, you know what? Here, here's the Moffat thing, where he has like a good idea or two, mm-hmm. right? And if you have someone telling him what to do, like you know, like he wrote that like legendary episode of Doctor Who yeah, with Blink the angels, is still like fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and like you just have to tell him what to do. You can't give him the reins to anything. Yeah, yeah, it's like J.J. Abrams. You don't make him the head of Star Wars. You have him do one and then go make other movies. Yeah, and then you put him in a sandbox with some toys. And then yeah. tell him, just have fun, JJ. Uh, but, but <laughs> I'll take you it from do, here. What you do with Steve Moffat is you go like, this has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. <laughs> right now. But I got this, I've got it, this fun mystery box. That, that's cute. It's got to be solved by the end of this hour. <laughs> you have an hour to solve this. <laughs> And then, it, it, then he's like, then he's brilliant. But if he's got like a full season, it's like Jesus Christ, buddy. And to the credit of Legend of Korra's season, um, it starts doling out as much information as you need, like from the get go. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we're settling into Republic City. Korra's having a problem um, listening and respecting authority, and like. I get, even if she wasn't Cora, you know, like, why that would be hard for someone who was, like, that confined for so long. Well, she's a little um, bit, like, uh, she's got a little bit of a Crocodile Dundee going on. In the first, I don't even know if that's accurate. I could, I never finished Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, I was like, what? I was like, I just know he's like, he's like, I'm a guy from the Outback, and now I'm in the city. And it's like, alright, you're the highest grossing film of that year now. But... Um, <laughs> Wait, really? I think he's like number three. Whenever your Crocodile Dundee came out, I have to check. Wow, 
It was like a monster hit, and now no one talks about it. Wow. Crocodile Dundee, 1986. Same year as Manhunter. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. Let's see. uh, Crocodile Dundee was the number two domestic film in the United States. Good Lord. Just $2 million short of Top Gun. I hate 80 cinema now. I know, it's that's awful. That's like, a, wow, that's bad. Oh, anyways, plowing ahead. Um. <laughs> all right, no, it's more, all right, it's more like coming to America, I guess, would be a better example. But like, you know, she's like, oh, I'm just going to go fish in this, in this lake. And it's like, that's a state park. And it's like, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like. She's she's a bull in a china shop. Like she's literally going through like china shops, trying to help people fighting like uh, uh, local gangsters. But she like destroys an entire city block. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you, you, it's that SpongeBob meme. Yeah, we saved the city, and it's, it's like everything's on, on fire. fire. You know, it's yeah. that. This this is why all these like hard hitting attempts at superhero like critical analysis are bullshit because Cora does it in the first episode. And every other movie that tries it is like, it's such a serious subject matter. Yeah. We need to spend hours and hours talking about well, every... it until we team up to beat the big purple man. Yeah, they, you have know? Do, they have to do the Kubrick stare for like an hour. Like, yeah. Like, should I? Should I not? Yeah, and this is like it? 10 minutes into the series. And then like they spend the whole movie doing that. And then at the end they decide, actually, nuclear weapons are fine. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? And then yeah. the movie's over. And you're like, I guess that's what that movie was about. Oh, they do nuke Superman, huh? Uh, yeah, they tried. Yeah. Well, you know what? No, no, I'm not even going to get down that rabbit hole because, to that movie's credit, that does not work. And it is proven to be a bad thing. No, don't they shoot the, like, they, they like, attach a nuke to the Phantom Zone or something stupid. Like, they launch a missile. Oh, in Man of Steel, yeah. I was talking about BVS. Oh, okay. Um, they both basically have the same ending, but BVS has a little more ideas I, in it. I had a stroke the last time I tried to watch BVS, so I don't remember what happens okay. once the Doomsday <laughs> fight starts. Um, but but anyways, like, yeah, like, it, it's, it's, a, it's not like a mind-blowing revelation to have the thought that, like, in these stories, actions could have consequences, you yeah. know? It's just, like, that's something that you have to constantly explore. You can't just bring it up. And to the credit of this, while also having, like, populated world that is moving away from the Avatar, that, um, like, it, it's it's literally, like, the theme embodied, right? It's presenting the theme itself. Like, how does she operate in a world that's basically been over-civilized now, right? Like, yeah. everything is becoming, like, more modern and industrialized and... There's no real, like, like, Aang and his buddies could, like, go through a town and, like, kind of destroy it, but also save it, and it'll be, like, okay, because, like, that's all they had to offer when the world was at war. Now it's, like, you, you can't just throw someone through a window and not have consequences, because that was some who's paying for that? Is the city going to pay for that? Is, what if that was, like, an embassy? Is that, like, nations going to have to pay for that? Do you have to answer to that? And it's, like... Those are valid questions. <laughs> the series does constantly address it. For vigilantes? <laughs> that seems like a bad thing to bring up right now, actually. No, I mean, like, why not talk about that, though, in this world, you know? Yeah. 
not not great to talk about in this world where like fucking the Michigan militias on the street. But. No, yeah, because in the real world, if you're a vigilante, you're probably just looking to fight someone, yeah, and that's been, not great. You've been you're a probably mask, a racist. You've been a masked <laughs> like, off white nationalist for about the past three weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the real world doesn't allow that, and yeah. for good reason. This is fiction fantasy, so we can kind of get away with talking about this but stuff. An- another thing that's introduced pretty early on is when Cora goes to the park and starts fishing. Because she, she gets to the city and she's not even like, alright, time to clean up the city. She's like, I gotta feed my fucking dog bear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then she's like, I got no money because people have been giving me things my whole life. And then they're like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and so she goes fishing and she immediately meets a homeless man. <laughs> and he's like trying to do like one of the things where it's like, pardon me, like trying to be fancy, which I always find funny when, it's, like, <laughs> home, you know, like the homeless guy with like the busted top hat and like holes in his gloves. And then like, excuse me, good sirs. Yeah, like, that always makes me laugh. <laughs> with like the missing shoe. Yeah, it's always <laughs> the best. Uh, even though that's not how homelessness works in real life. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then she's like, like, what do you mean you're homeless? You're in a public city. <laughs> and it's like, oh, Cora, <laughs> you got a lot to learn. Uh, I I think the class stuff in this season, it's so weird. Sometimes I think it's actually very clever and very well orchestrated. And then other times I think it's a little mismanaged. I won't even say misguided. I think mismanaged, if I'm that makes say, sense. I'm going to say... I think there's a more going on to it than we give it credit for. At the end of uh, episode one, Welcome to Republic City, we meet Amon, and uh, well, we also uh, before that we we're, we're somewhat introduced to Amon because there's that guy preaching in the park, uh, being like the benders suck and they're oppressing us, and Cora's like, "What are you talking about? Bending's the best thing ever," and he's like, "Oh, I guess you'd say that, Bender." And like all crowds on her, and she she literally shouts at him, "I'm not oppressing anyone. You're oppressing yourselves." Yeah, that's a line that I could see people being like, "Oh no!" Hey, but the, there's immediately a guy in a crowd that goes, "That doesn't even make sense." Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, the show. I agree with you. The show has more going on than I think it's given credit for with its politics, but there's some stuff that still just does rub the wrong way it doesn't mean there's not more there going on though she's a hundred percent in the wrong in that moment though yeah yeah i i agree but like it's i think like nowadays it's just it could be a little harder for people to kind of get into the flow of the show because of stuff like that I, i guess like especially in this year yeah i i know definitely but also i just think that i don't know i feel like We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Because, like, I, I really vibed with it for these f- six episodes. Okay. Well, I will say that I know plenty of people that did start it after watching The Last Airbender for the first time and just fell in love with it just as much. Okay. So, that's... Uh, I just think that... It's just I, something I thought of. I, I'll, I'll have to save it, but I think there's more going on. But it's... Uh, but, I, like I'm saying, I think Cora is 100% framed in the wrong, and I think... It, to bring it back to the Tumblr era, it's like the first time you're told you have privilege, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, she never had to experience that. Now she's out in the city, and it's like, hey, guess what? You got some fucking bender privilege. <laughs> like, <laughs> And she reacted in a way that, you know, probably the majority of people react when they're told that. 
No. We can probably we can act like you know, where it's like, oh, I took the high and mighty road. But there were times when you probably took the low road, and you're like, hey, no, I I I didn't do anything wrong. It was <laughs> other people. And then like you you have to really think about it. And you're like, actually, they had a point. <laughs> or, <laughs> or you double down and you join a hate group. But. <laughs> Speaking of cops, no. Cora, uh, <laughs> uh, after she tries to stop some gangsters who are the triple threat triad, um, which is like organized crime bending, which I honestly wish we could have seen a little bit more of. I I completely agree. That's one of those things where it's like I really wish there was like just a season of Cora just fucking up like like organized crime benders. Because then I think it would also, like, if it tied more into the politics, like the the literal politicians of Republic City, which we do get to in this season as well, like, just that, that I think that would kind of help acclimate the, uh, like, the political themes of, like, uh, oppression and, like, people in power a little bit more, you I'm know, kind of tying it all together. It in that high and mighty way. I just want some really, like, thick <laughs> Italian accents for vendors. <laughs> like, no, that, okay, so we figured out how to fit Bill Burr into the last airbender in go. the Fire Nation. <laughs> this is his, like, relative, right? Yes, exactly. Um, no, it's just, like... I also just want it because I I'd want there to be one scene where it's like there's an organized crime guy doing some fucked up shit, but then he realizes he's secretly working for like a worse group, and then you get like the Rocketeer moment. Oh like, yeah, I, I may be a crook, but I'm not no two bit Nazi, you know, <laughs> which is like all I want in cinema. Because <laughs> I'm yeah. Sure well, I'm I mean, that's the best moment in movie history. <laughs> it's great. I also want yeah. you know, I, I I also want to give like Miller's Crossing esque dialogue to Benders. <laughs> <laughs> where it's like you know gam like the underworld is like gambling and all sorts of shit and speakeasies and shit um i don't know what the avatar equivalent of that would be but well i know what the avatar equivalent of um anton Chigurh is oh it's amon yeah i, I get you know no amon's not that no, okay, maybe maybe the nihilist is, is who, not the correct we, way we know who we know who he is Oh, he's Bane. Yeah, another character from 2012. Yeah. So it's uh, like... Your precious it's... armory! <laughs> uh, and not to give it away because uh, not everyone's seen the show, but it it's very similar. There's a lot of and similarities. He blows up a it's... stadium. I mean, <laughs> that actually happens. <laughs> but it's so crazy because, like, that episode aired before Dark Knight Rises came out. This was in production from 2010, the same year Dark Knight Rises went officially into like pre-production and stuff like that. So like, it it, it they didn't copy it, but it's just it's so similar. I am. There willing, are so many similarities based on these six episodes, though. I'm willing to say this landed it better than Dark Knight Rises. I love Dark Knight Rises. Let me let me rewatch these next six. Mm-hmm. I'll see how it goes. I will I will admit to defeat if the next six prove me wrong. <laughs> but if I'm okay. going based on these six, it's better than Dark Knight Rises. Now that being said, Dark Knight Rises, the first half of that movie starts out pretty strong. <laughs> <laughs> and then it kinda like loses the thread and then kinda sticks a landing, but <laughs> Um, so we'll see. We'll see if it gets equally as messy. And uh, should we should we mention the voice of uh, of uh, Amon? Yeah, it's Tom from Toonami. Yeah, it's also Spike from Cowboy Bebop. 
Yeah, that, that killer voice. That's like the yeah. greatest voice a white man has ever possessed. <laughs> like honestly, <laughs> like that's on. a great Hold voice. On. Don't don't sell Orson sure. No, but, okay, yeah, yeah. But no. Yeah, but I don't I don't want to hear Stephen Blum drunk. He he just feels like a comforting like ancestor, you I know. Guess, but I think that's I think that's tsunami. I think that's bringing us back to an era where it's Oh, like, maybe. Yeah. His voice takes us back to that time where it's like we just we we're not going to do our homework or we already did it if you're a better student than me. And we're just going to sit down and we're just going to watch fucking Dragon Ball Z and fucking Gundam and fucking Dragon Ball and fucking Yu Yu Hakusho and fucking Sailor Moon and some other shit you don't remember. And I was like, ah, yes, Tom. <laughs> and then he dies and then comes back as a new Tom. Is that what happened? I tapped out of Tsunami around that era. Really? That was like this is like early Tsunami. I don't remember Tom dying. The first year of Tsunami, uh, Tom point one dies. Whoa! Uh, what? Yeah, he gets killed by like a blob monster. Whoa! Yeah. I have no recollection. But then, of like, this. his brain goes into the next Tom. Oh, okay. And, and you know what? Actually, I think the first Tom wasn't even voiced by um, Steve Bloom. Um, I think it was someone else, and then he mm. took over. I think with the new body, he got the new voice, and then okay, he was like the okay. host for like the rest of the fucking thing. Okay. Um, but huh. so he did not. I don't think he died again. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that was so traumatizing. Because I do remember he got a new look at a certain point, and then he was like, "Hey, if you want to find out how I got this new look, go to the Toonami website." <laughs> Because <laughs> it's like, we're not going to do a special where he dies again. <laughs> but no, he he, play, he voices Mon, and he's got a killer voice. And, dude, it's so similar to Dark Rises. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just, like, oh, there's a there's an imposing voice, a man behind a mask with a mystery. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> they're using the oppressed class to rise up <laughs> against the oppressors. And it's just like. never escaped. Oh. It's the same thing. Hell, um, that, that metal bending fight on the airship is a lot like the first fight in, in the the plane scene in the opening of Dark Knight Rises. Kind of, yeah. When the guys are coming down and like you know they come in mm-hmm. and start shooting through the windows. That's a lot like those metal benders. Dishy, dishy, basara. Um, but the second episode does not focus on Amon. Well, we it pro- focuses. We, we didn't introduce Lin Beifong. Oh my god, we we went on like a 20 minute tangent. Yeah. <laughs> Lin uh, Beifong. All right. Lin Beifong. Um she's a cop and she's one of the main characters. How's that holding up? It's it's good. Uh she is also an asshole like Tenzin, but a different asshole. And uh I, and I say this with love because I really like this character too. Um it's kind of just like a a cop stereotype, but there's like already I don't know what it is with these writers. But already you can kind of see like the details beneath the surface of the character, you know. Like there's more just going on than her being mad at Cora for making a mess in her city, you know. And I don't know how they do it. I I no idea, but I commend them because that character could be like just generic stock antagonist 2.0. Well, I also think know? it's great that it's like she's introduced and it's like, oh wait, you're Lin Beifong? You're related? Like, your mom was friends with Aang and then she's like, you know, I'm the Avatar now. And she's like, I don't give a shit. 
Yeah. <laughs> like a splash. I think that's another good like splash of cold water for the audience because I I think if nerds were being honest with themselves, and I I totally understand. I'm not like even mocking it. I totally understand wanting this, but I think deep down nerds just want a series where it's like new people becoming friends the whole time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, we're friends now, and then it's great, and then you don't have to think about terrorists and shit. <laughs> <laughs> and instead, it's like, fuck you, we're not friends. Yeah, and I mean to to like to the credit of the show as well that the characters do grow alongside each other, and it's not it's not an easy ride all the time, right? Yeah. But like, even think back to like when you when you first watched Star Wars, right? Like the prequels are just coming out, probably. And you're like, you're living it up, and you're like, man, if they did another trilogy after the original trilogy, though, I wonder what their kids would be up to. Like, that's a pretty common line of thinking, right? And, like, I think it's okay to even say you want to see that. Mm -hmm. But, again, when something doesn't present that to you, you can't hold it against that thing for not giving you that. Yeah, and I also, I gotta be honest, like, I remember that, like, photo that went around where someone photoshopped all four of those characters in the Millennium Falcon? Mm-hmm. Or it's like what could have been or whatever. Yeah. And it kind of went around. And it's like, I totally, like, I would have loved to have seen that too. Like, I'm not lying. And like, I would have loved to have seen that, but I didn't get it, you know? Mm-hmm. And also, that would have been fun for one movie. Yeah. <laughs> that would not have carried a trilogy. Or like, uh, not even the Millennium Falcon one, but there's that one where it's like Luke standing next to Han and Chewie with the blaster. Mm-hmm. And they're like, like, it looks like an action scene. Like, you can visually imagine, like, that scene playing out, right? It's like, what do we got? Like, right, whatever. Pew, 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 lasers. But it's like, okay, what's the movie around that, though? Like, I don't... Yeah, that exactly. seems kind of exciting, but, like, like what you're presenting to me, but it doesn't mean anything. It's not real. In that, it, you just end up being that, that Pat Oswalt bit where he just did the Star Wars filibuster. Yeah. Where he's just, like, bringing more and more shit into it. Mm-hmm. Because that's all you can do in those things is just add more plot. <laughs> yeah, really. Because it's like really tell a story. Yeah, and I mean, you know, uh, I I'd even say that kind of does work in another franchise like that that worked on people. But like, if they just keep doing that, like people are gonna get bored. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like that's just gonna happen. This show, like, doesn't introduce the rest of the cast until like some of them. Until, like, four episodes in. I was shocked how late a certain character was in showing up. If it works, it works, you know? Like, that's that's all that matters. You know, a story is a story. Mm-hmm. You, you, you figure out what, what that means in the writer's room, I guess. <laughs> but uh, Le- A Leaf in the Wind is, is the first one where Cora really starts getting acclimated to the teachings of airbending. Not by following Tenzin, but by figuring out her own way of... Uh, like uh, of moving forward in her airbending training Mm -hmm. and it's still like a a physical presence that that she's like mastering but you know Tenzin recognizes that it's uh it's the way forward for her and uh it's just it's a nice little lesson it's a very heartwarming moment to see Tenzin who's very grumpy at her for joining with two characters we'll talk about in a second and then ultimately getting involved in like the yeah. sport of it all, being like, "Woo, yeah!" <laughs> well, it's like, like I just like that. Tenzin's like immediately like, "Fuck pro bending." Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's a mockery of this brilliant art shit. Mm. And I mean, it's and it's it's hard to like remember that like basically the different 
nations. It's like religion, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like religion if like it actually did things. <laughs> I mean, I mean, no, no, no. Like, no, no, no. I, I think that's fair because like so much of like growing up in the Catholic Church, so much of it is like, well, you you can't um, like why why can't I just pray at home? Like as as someone who grew up religious, gotta like, yeah, be in I, the I, building. Uh huh. Like God. okay, but God is but God is everywhere. Like that's something yeah. I I. Like that's just so obviously like bullshit. It's like no, you just it's it's a it's a community thing. Like if I had someone explain it better to me, you know, like no offense to my parents who I love, but like you know, if if, if I think if people had a better understanding of that themselves, it wouldn't be such a point of contention. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, if it was just like you know, this is how people used to gather in the old days, and we still do it out of a sense of tradition. I feel like I would have understood that more. Then God's everywhere, but also we need to go to this building on Sunday. Yeah, I mean honestly, because like uh, there are people that um, I uh, I because as I went to what the fuck I don't even remember what it's called. Not Sunday not, school. <laughs> Sunday school? No, 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 no. It's just like not Advent, not not communism. <laughs> what the fuck? You get not crucified. I can't remember what it's even called. I have called, no but... idea what you're trying to say. Confession. It, it, no confirmation 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 okay when you get confirmed you got to go through like two years of classes it's insane yeah i, I right? did i did uh what did i do i don't know if i did confirmation what's before you, confirmation you, uh the baptized no it's, there's, there's, there's a middle one right there's another one. Oh, god i'm not even trying to be like edgy both, i don't remember <laughs> we are both going to hell if catholicism yeah. was right like yeah no 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 like that's it it's over but but the point i just wanted to make was that like i appreciated like the friends in the groups like in that setting you know because we're all people our own age and we're like yeah it's kind of ridiculous but like it it showed us what like a healthy environment of community could actually give to someone it's like oh that's why people went to church originally and now it's different because of like you know the advantageous social media environments and like all this other technology yada 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 right first communion there you go that's what it was i did my first communion there you go but like yeah (laughs) you get what i'm saying right like there's reasons why people did it but there should also be like like tradition isn't like the only way forward but uh leaf in the wind we get to meet mako and bolin uh, you brought up that the the republic city history was that the fire nation and earth kingdom families were starting to get intertwined that's beautifully represented between the bonds between these two brothers a firebender mako and an earthbender bolin and their adorable fire ferret Yay. Who's kind of like the Momo of this series. And these sort of family uh, interweavings are definitely reflected very well in the real world. And have a great history attached to those sorts of things. Do you want to Do you want to go on another tangent? I probably shouldn't. Okay. Because <laughs> it'll get so dark so quick. <laughs> okay, let's... Uh, you yeah, know what yeah. happens when people do those ancestry tests? Oh yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, okay. exactly. We don't, yeah. we don't no, want to no, do no. that. Bolin has a, a crush on Korra like immediately. Yeah, it's like immediate, which is something I didn't remember. Where yeah. Um, he, she sneaks in to the stadium because she's like, "Fuck Tenzin and his bullshit, anti-pro bending shit." Also, she gets humiliated in her first attempt at airbending, which uh, definitely rubs her the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And Tenzin says something like, when you meet resistance, you must be able to switch directions at a moment's notice. And it's like, hey, fucking Tenzin, maybe listen to what you preach. Yeah. Uh, Tenzin. Um, But that's like a recurring thing in this show. (laughs) But that is also the thing that like Korra's big big problem is that she's very stubborn. Mm. You know? Um, yeah. Which is and, honestly uh, part of the reason why, like, you love Korra. Because you kind of, like, there's something about stubborn people that's, like, you kind of like sometimes. Yeah, because, like, I think the the big thing about Korra versus, like, some, like, other character. Like, I don't even have, like, a, a, a name to pull. Like, I'm just thinking, like, sometimes this doesn't work. Korra's a good person, like, yeah. at heart. There's Korra stubborn, and then there's refusing to wearing a fucking mask. Even though, like, we're this far into a pandemic, stubborn. Oh, yeah. If you're not wearing a mask, I I don't even hope you get it because I don't wish that on anyone. Um, But, like, you're, you're, you're an asshole. Don't listen to this show. Look, I don't my, want your fucking... My dad is one of the most stubborn motherfuckers on the planet. It's impossible to get him to do anything. He's wearing the fucking mask. <laughs> so, you can, too. <laughs> Jackasses. I doubt... I doubt anti-mask people are listening to this, but... Honestly, yeah, I don't think so, which is nice. Thank you, everyone. Um, there's that great moment where Korra does, like, go completely off the handle and, like, just firebends her, like, uh, airbending training area away. And then, like, you know, her and Tenzin hash it out, and she's like, oh, you're just a bad teacher, you know? like Yeah, oh, that was that was a little harsh. That was a little harsh, and, you know... It, it's sad, but then immediately Milo is like, yeah, you're a bad teacher, daddy. <laughs> but because of like the, the training not going well, Cora sneaks out and she gets caught by some fucking cop. <laughs> I don't know. I'm call- now I'm just calling anyone I don't like cops. <laughs> well, uh, no, I think it's the dude who like runs the gym that yeah. Mako and Bolin live yeah, above. I've heard right? that excuse before. You know, he tries to be like, you You can't sneak in here. And Bolin's like, oh, no, hey, there you are. Tries to be, like, all cool about it. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, she's with me. And then she's like, nope, we're just just friends. Like, she's immediately like that. Yeah. Oh, that's something else I liked, you know, like, uh, that, you know, he's he's trying to be, like, a suave dude. And she's like, oh, n- no, 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 no. Immediately shooting that down. He's like, oh, no, I didn't mean like that. And she's like, mm, no, I, no, I, I think you, you did. No, you yeah. Like, like was... she does not. She, she sees through that bullshit immediately. Yeah, that, that's a good moment. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's so we we meet Bolin and then we meet uh, Mako. Um, it's it is Mako, right? It's Mako. Yeah, because like I kept being like, I'm gonna say it wrong. I'm gonna say Mako. <laughs> no. I'm gonna say fucking Mako. No, just remember Pacific Rim, Mako. Yeah. So Mako. And, no, uh, <laughs> that's Mass Effect. Hey, oh yeah. yeah. Wait, what the fuck was the Mako in Mass Effect? It was the the car no one liked. Oh yeah, the car no one liked. Um, I thought it was fun. Yeah. Hey, they're doing an HD remaster or something. Yeah. Um, Mass sure. Effect retrospective? Hey, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I can't. I, I The third one's just like, I get burned out every time I get to the third one. Okay, like, okay, okay. I'm, I'm not even like going to dunk on the third one. It's just like, I've tried to like sit down and play the trilogy. And mm-hmm. it's like when I do it every time I get to the three and I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we we meet Mako and Bola, and they have, of course, a tragic backstory. Their parents were killed by a firebender. Not revealed and yet, though. Kind of all blends together for me right here. Well, I, that's what, what I will that? say about these these couple episodes. Uh, I have the wiki right here to have the episodes like all lined up, but like these next th- four until episode six, they all do kind of 
rushed together. Like it's it's yeah. the same episode for me, basically. All right, that's that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned they're a member of the Fire Ferrets. I think that's their name. Yeah, the Fire Ferrets, pro bending team, and uh, they're with another guy who leaves after this. <laughs> Yeah, because Mako's an asshole. He he clearly like sucked, but Mako is like pushing his buttons. You Mako, know, Mako, Mako sucks. <laughs> Here's the thing, he, he, he just sucks. <laughs> but I want to stress. I want to make this very clear. I I thought I it I thought this didn't happen until season two, but it actually happened in season one, which is I actually enjoy how much Mako sucks. Okay. Like, it is fun how much he just fucking sucks. <laughs> like, I'm not even, like, angry at him or, like, the character <laughs> or the writing of him. It's like, I love it when it's like, of course, of course Mako did that because he sucks. No, I remembered not being a fan of Mako's character at all. You know what it is? I agree with you. <laughs> Guess what? I just I, I I think I definitely did a lot of growing up between when this aired and when the and now. <laughs> and like I went through like phases where I was a shitty person <laughs> and just a shitty dude, but also thought I was like not, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like when I look back on that, I was like, Man, I was fucking stupid. So when I think of that stupidity, I see that stupidity in Mako occasionally. And so now it's just fun to be like, There's that jackass <laughs> um i have no evidence of this though i this is this isn't even a qualm this is just something i've thought about a lot i think mako and cora have a will they won't they thing from the get-go because of makora fans Hmm. or zutara fans excuse me hmm from the last Airbender, I think that was there not to placate anybody because I, I don't think this this team placates anyone. I, I think they do intend on on creating the best narrative possible. I, I don't think they're that level of cheap at all. But I do think, or I do get the feeling that that was there to be like, look, it's it's Zutara, but in the next generation, you know, and we'll we'll see how that unfolds. That I might just be talking out of my ass for this. I think you have a bit of a point there. But I will save my rebuttal until later. Okay. A better time to make that point. Okay. Uh, but that that's just the vibe I definitely got again rewatching, and that's what I've had since the beginning. One thing I just I didn't remember that like the the stuff that like all the guns that are gonna go off in a few episodes. I didn't remember them being set up this early. You know, mm-hmm. like all the relationship stuff that's going to come. I thought I didn't remember, like, I thought I thought some of it was even retroactive, you know, mm-hmm. where when the reception of it kind of came out and like the writers kind of fixed it. I didn't realize that some of like Mako shittiness was this early. Like, I thought Mako shittiness was an unintentional, whereas this time it feels much more intentional. Yeah, he's just he's Mr. Too Cool for school. Yeah. And, you know, like it's. And Bolin's fucking Mister. Take a fucking hint. She just wants to be a friend. Your friend. Yeah. <laughs> Which is you know, definitely it's... definitely the guy I want to go back in time and just fucking punch in the face. <laughs> and just be like, learn this now, <laughs> you fucking moron. It's um, I I think it shows a lot of uh just 
a testament to the writing team and like how they're able to have this like variety of of a uh, young adult narratives mm-hmm. coming off of like the last airbender already like it's totally a different group of characters even though i was saying you know it did remind me of Zuko and Katara shippers a lot. Yeah, well, you know, I <laughs> think there's a. I think it does make sense that Korra would be attracted to him a little bit. No, no, no. I, I get the attraction stuff. Just like, I think there's a little bit of a fan servicey attempt. Yeah, even That's though there's all. like there's a lot of like, you know, like that, like, oh, you suck. Oh, you're a jerk. Blah blah blah. Like in the beginning, it's like front loaded with a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's like being screwbally and shit, but. uh I, it just makes sense because, like, like Mako, like at first at least, comes across as the type of guy where he's like he's being too cool for school. So when he gives you a compliment, it's like you want that guy to give you a compliment, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you get to know him too well, and you realize that nope, I don't want that guy's compliments at all. <laughs> yeah, no, he he's just kind of a loser. But yeah, he's but like, it's, but it's that's great. what makes it. Yeah, because it's, it's like it's 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 like a mask for him. You know, this is almost like a superhero style of Avatar show, like. Mm. Where, you know, you got the villain with the mask and the secret identity and stuff like that, right? Well, they literally and, start driving around, like, in their own automobile at a certain point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, like, it, you know, I get more of an X-Men vibe from this season than I do, like, uh, well, not not more than, than The Last Airbender. But, like, you, you get what I'm saying, right? Like, there's more yeah, yeah, stuff uh, behind, like, the identity and, and set it. Like, no one's just who they say they are. Well, here. in the way that, like, the Chris Claremont era X-Men, like, really played up the soap opera of it all. Like, yeah, it's yeah. Like who's who loves who? Who's what? Who's related to who? Blah blah blah. Like, mm-hmm, yeah, and that's that why like more. the X Men's like fun. So it'd be cool to see that in a movie at some point. Yeah, it'd but who knows? Be cool to see a good X Men movie that wasn't made by a total creep. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> we'll uh, see. <laughs> we'll see. I'm sure Marvel won't fuck it up. Um, but back to Korra. Yeah. Um, she joins the the pro bending team after she admits she's the Avatar. Um, well, they put. And I like that there's there's that, that moment um, when they're back in the official like like uh, ring, right? And then the announcers and uh, the refs discover that like, oh, she's the avatar because she's bending multiple elements. That like, should that be allowed? <laughs> and then they're like, ah, oh, like you know, they don't say it, but there's that kind of realization because she was doing so bad that it was like, oh, well, she kind of sucks anyway. So sure, just let her keep yeah, going she, as long as she just does water. It's fine. She could only bend one element, I think, was what they said. Yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, she was, like, bombing, like, yeah, really hard. bad. <laughs> so. it, was, it was embarrassing. It was a shameful <laughs> performance, Cora. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, no, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice other, like, part two of a pilot episode. You it was know? also, yeah, it was aired on the same night, right? So... I believe so, These yeah. These two were together. Um, I do like the reveal when Tenzin learns that she's pro-bending by hearing it over the radio. That yeah. the guards are listening to instead of protecting the island. Um, that's, that's <laughs> I like that the moment. White Lotus has continued like to to kind of guide... Like the Avatar in these days, but also that they're useless now. Yeah, like yeah, like, like that they're still around, but they suck. <laughs> yeah, that that's a fun evolution, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a few of those. The cheap way to do it is to be like Tenzin's part of the White Lotus too. All of course teachers will be part of the White Lotus. Yada yada yada. But no, no, it's just like yeah, they're kind of like Avatar cops. <laughs> also, the White Lotus were like plotting some other big thing to fight 
another big evil that's going to show up in a thousand years or something. Oh yeah, they not not to get into it, but like they don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> huh. That's another brownie point for the show, I guess. The chapter three, the revelation. Because well, we I feel like we kind of we just got to point out the Tenzin like is initially pissed, but then he embraces Cora uh, doing the pro bending because she finally starts moving like an airbender when she mm-hmm. does it. So he's yeah. like, I got some things I can learn. I shouldn't stick to tradition too much. The show is smart enough to to give all of these characters room for growth because, like, you know, it's not it's not just that it's great to to have something like acknowledge real life is also just constant learning and growth Mm -hmm. but like it just makes for the characters to be more like malleable to stories in the future too yes also i just gotta point out the last shot of this episode um you got mako and he's looking out the window and he's looking towards the air temple then you got cora looking out the window but she's looking towards the city and i think that holds great significance to their relationship and or, or what? Well, I think he's got Cora on his on his mind, you know. Okay, mm-hmm. I think that's definite. I think Cora's still like got the got the bigger picture on her mind. Mm-hmm. You know that she's like, I get to experience all these new things in the city, where it's like, yeah, Mako seems all right. Maybe you know he'll be fun as part of this. Yeah, but it's I'm not laser focused on it, mm-hmm. which I think is an important detail. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's uh, very intentional, but hey. Okay, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, li- I like that, too. I was going to bring up, I have my notes, that it's, uh, it's the Star Wars shot in, in Coruscant. Oh, God, no. Yeah. <laughs> Anakin and Padme looking out to each other, but, you know, the that's a, a much darker moment. Because it's about, like, you know, it's a literal, like, sun setting on the Galactic Empire. Or whatever. Republic. Republic. Fuck. Not the Empire yet. And then he's going to uh, choke her to death. No. <laughs> Anyways, chapter he three, the revelation. He her to death, and then also she recovers from that, but then dies in childbirth, which is a weird detail. <laughs> chapter three, the revelation. She's lost um, the will to live, says the <laughs> robot doctor. <laughs> Um, oh, this is where we kind of get back into the, the, the class era stuff mm. of, of the Avatar world. And uh, they're Good. trying to, to raise money for their pro bending fees. And Bolin and Mako get into a little bit of trouble because they initially, or uh, Bolin specifically gets in trouble. But like, there's a history with them working for the Triple Threat Triad for you know just trying to stay off the streets and stuff like that. And I had forgotten about that little bit of history. And I like that the show goes there. For that, you know, because Cora, Cora starts judging them, and Mako's like, like we literally could do nothing else. I like, just want to say, though, I wrote down one of my notes is just, Mako sucks. It's <laughs> <laughs> like my second note for this episode. <laughs> I think that was that moment where uh, he, like, he gives, like, oh, I guess you've been getting handed things. Your whole-. He says some snobby thing to fucking Cora, <laughs> And then he's like, hey, my parents are dead. And then it's like, dude, that's not how to handle it. <laughs> like, I mean, but Bull, Bull and Maka, they get shaken down by the fucking owner of the place, which is like a fucked up scene. Yeah. And uh, not. That's yeah, not great. Yeah, it's it sucks how much people these days can relate to that. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, Bullen talks to his friend Shady Shin. <laughs> 
I'm sure he'll lead him down a right path. Um, but the Bolin and Lightning Bolt Zolt or whatever the fuck his name was. Yeah, Lightning Bolt Zolt. Um, but Bolin and uh, Pabu put on a, a cute little street performance with a oh, little yeah. hat and and a monocle and the fake mustache and it's very one. cute. I love one. all the cute animal shit in this series. He gets one credit. <laughs> It's very cute. That's all that matters. Hey, um, hey but oh, Bolin is out of his mind if he thought that would work. <laughs> oh, no. To- he- Bolin is a dummy, but he's like a lovable dummy. Bolin he's very like, much like a Sokka. Yeah, he's like Sokka if he didn't progress, though. Because he's like, yeah. like in five years older than Sokka. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I forget they're that much older. Yeah, but you got to remember, these are like older. Like, they're like on the verge of adulthood. Like, they're all 17 and 18. No, Cora's like 16, isn't she? I thought she was 7. I, I googled it at a certain point. Okay, hold on. I'll have, to, I'll have to look it up another time. But also, like, um, how long... This show takes place over like a, like a year or two, right? Like, the f- yeah, lot, not, not to get into it, but... A lot happens. The, a lot happens in like about a year. Mm-hmm. And then there's, a, there's a, a little difference after that. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, I I really like the moment when Mako starts going to look for Bolin because he can't find him. No, he, and he, so he that's not why he goes though. Oh, why does he go? He goes to the air temple looking for Bolin because he thinks Bolin is fucking putting the moves on Korra. Oh. Remember, he's like he uh-huh. like comes back to the house and he's like not there, and then he looks at the air temple and he's like. Oh, I know what you're up to, Bolin. Not if I can help it. Like, he says some fucking <laughs> shitty Mako thing. He's such a Mako. Look, it, it's that thing where it's like a double entendre where he, like, he knows that Bolin's going for Korra. Or he thinks he knows Bolin's going for Korra, but really he's like, ah, well, I should put a stop to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was always like, but- I guess I gotta stop Bolin when it's really, like, what he wants to say is, like, I want... I wanted to talk to Korra, but he's like, yeah. he's too cool a guy to admit that he likes Korra. Yeah. I'm sure that um, but, won't fuck everything up for him. <laughs> but there's that great moment where uh, Iki and Jinora are talking to Korra, and they're like, oh, is that the cute firebender boy that you, you say drives you crazy? And then she just kicks them into the air. <laughs> <laughs> See, Korra only understands violence. Yeah, but it's so good. Because it's like, for a moment, it's just like, whoa. And then it's like, oh, yeah, airbenders, right. They're okay. And then they <laughs> just float fine. down in the background. <laughs> yeah, that, that was beautiful. Um, <laughs> uh, the rest of the episode is kind of like a, like a, almost like a small chase thing. And we get to see the equalists, who are the villains of the season, yeah. kind of come into play for the first time. Well, there's also a moment where uh, they, they talk to some, like, young hoods to get some information. They, like, get shaken down. <laughs> I like children. Oh, yeah. And I just wrote that down because that's another thing that reminds me of Once Upon a Time in America. Because, <laughs> like, that's kind of what they were doing initially. <laughs> so I'm saying those um, kids don't have a great future ahead. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. The one's going to get shot under the fucking bridge. No! <laughs> <laughs> There's no, no guns in this universe, is there? No, thankfully. Yeah. They have cars, but no guns. What a better yeah. world. I know. <laughs> um, I guess a gun wouldn't matter much. In... Yeah, if you can bend, like, metal, I don't it's think. Like, that makes ah, you Magneto. It's like, haha, <laughs> firebender, I've got you cornered with my gun, and then they just make the metal melt, and then the I know. gun explodes. 
Like, I um, guess that makes sense. Yeah, but we see the Equalist in action, and it's kind of like fighting a bunch of Ty Lees, mm-hmm. but without, like, the quirkiness. Well, and they, they it's much more terrifying. Yeah, they're scary. Um, but uh, we get that, you get that, this is where we get the speech that uh, Bolin and Mako's parents were killed by uh, firebenders. Um, this is where that's explicit. Um, and this is where I, I think it starts to get interesting. Because, you know, they're benders, right? Mm-hmm. They grew up poor. They had to, like, they were on the street as orphans. So, like, they're a t- they're totally victims of the class warfare that's going on in this city, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then you have fucking Amon up there being like, the problems is the benders. And in this episode, he, he explicitly, like, Bolin gets caught in the whole scheme, right? Right. And and he ended up there entirely by circumstance. <laughs> like, he was not, like, a thug going around robbing people. He's like, I, we, we're desperate for money, <laughs> is what it was. So it's like, this episode is already underlying that, like, Amon is not solving the class itch- issue in this city. He is exploiting the class class conflict and putting the blame exclusively on benders. But it doesn't actually solve anything, you know? Yeah. Like it's it's a sham from the start. Like it's it's this is why like I think Bane kind of like isn't written as well because Bane actually does make valid points. <laughs> Bane is actually like you know when he's like he robs Wall Street and he's like well you people are thieves and shit and. He like he's got po- he, he he makes a point whereas Amon's like full of shit from the start. I, I all right. I mean, I I, I still I want to remember how it plays out fully in the next rewatch of the, the next couple episodes. That's the thing. But... I'm only defending these six episodes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. in these six episodes, we're shown that there is class struggle, there is class conflict, the government sucks, <laughs> that there there are all these problems, but. Amon is exploiting this to blame essentially a religious faction, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's kind of like the proto-new atheist if they became a terrorist. <laughs> oh, like, Amon's going to start a YouTube channel. Yeah, exactly, where he's like, the problem is like the benders. The, it's like atheists that are like, we wouldn't have any problems if there was no religion. And Amon says, he gives a speech where he's like, every war has been caused by benders. And it's like, that's we know for a fact that's not even what caused the wars, you know? <laughs> like the yeah. wars we've seen were driven by like other things. Mm-hmm. And even just a poor reading of history will show that. You know? Like <laughs> And then Amon also takes the next step, I believe, in this episode. I might I might yeah, be yeah, wrong, no, but that I'm pretty happens here. That happens here. Okay, yeah, well I guess for the for the listeners then, that Amon says that the spirits have lost faith in the Avatar and that he's been bestowed with the power to take away people's bending, which is something that we have seen Aang do with the Fire Lord. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, that, for for right now, that, you know, that sends a shockwave through your system for the first time. Like, yeah. hey, whether or not that's true, we do see him take away people's bending, which is like a big uh-oh moment for everyone. Yeah. There's this great moment where I think it's either him or someone else with firebending where like they're shooting out the, the fire, electricity, whatever, and he's taken away their bending in the middle of it and it just kind of like sputters out. 
Yeah. That's a great visual. And it's just like, oh, like, that's perfect. That's, it tells you everything you know, you need to know about, like, his power now. Like, yeah. And it's, it's, it's great. He's a genuinely frightening villain. Like, he works as a villain. Yeah, yeah. This, this is a great villain. Like, just right up front, like, completely, um, sends like a shiver down your spine like there's an actual like threatening component to him you know like we talk a lot about like how zuko and iroh in the first season of avatar like they weren't supposed to be like super threatening but like compared to like azula and amon it's just like no comparison like (laughs) like those are genuinely frightening characters (laughs) um he kind of got like this michael myers essence to him too as he like lumbers towards bolin which I well, really he's also like. he's kind of doing what Korra is failing to do. It's when like people start shooting, like you know, f- bending at him, he just can dodge it like so simply, you know, mm-hmm. which is what Korra has been failing to do. Yeah, I like that you brought that up because I I actually had that too. Sorry to like jump in, but like that he is completely like in tune with his surroundings and his inner conflict, right? Yeah. Like from what we've seen so far, like he's just like one in a piece with his environment, and Korra is like. You know, like, she doesn't even use, like, bending at first, but when she throws that guy, like, into, the, like, the, the steam pipes and everything like that, like, yeah. instead also of, that, like, solving that cleverly, she's, like, she throws someone against them. Yeah, but that fight rules. She just fights no, no, a it's dude great. beating him with a wrench. <laughs> like, just... No, 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 it's great. All, all of the, the action is great, too. I actually wrote in, down, in specifically in this episode, that the show still totally delivers on the action. Like, the bowling oh, yeah. rescue is great. Mm-hmm. Um... So that's that's great to see. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, we also get yeah, a voice, we get a voice cameo in this. Um, one of those moments where I was like, "Who is that?" And it was fucking Lance Hendrickson. Oh yeah, my boy, uh, Bishop, playing Lieutenant. He's... Yep, real, real riveting character stuff from him here. Um, I... I almost wonder if there was a little more written for that character initially, and then they just they cut it they cut it out a little bit. I I don't know. I I think of stuff like when people say like, oh, this this actor was wasted in a role in like an ensemble film, you know. And it's like if it's an ensemble film, you kind of just need them to play a part, you know. Like no yeah. one in the Ocean's films are wasted because that's like the joke of those movies that there's like all these people in on the heist, but like. So, like, I don't know. I, I'm okay with him just being the lieutenant, you know? Because, like, like better... if you need, like, an, uh, like someone that's, like, got a presence, Lance Henriksen's kind of one of the main voices to go to. Well, the better example of this is something like Heat, where it's, like, that the cast of the of Heat is just, like, stacked. Oh, yeah. And it's, like, some people show up and have, like, two lines. Mm-hmm. Like, John Voight has, like, two scenes in that movie. <laughs> And it's like great, and it's like, oh, this is why we still tolerate John Voight. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Henry Rollins, who will show up later on this show, is in Heat, and like, has oh yeah, two scenes. No, no, he's got three scenes. Oh, all right, hey, <laughs> I've seen Heat enough times. I know, I know my shit. Um, but yeah, yeah. That, anyways, I, I think he's. He's good enough, you know. He's not playing the most in-depth character. Yeah. It happens to him on Hannibal, too. He's in one episode of Hannibal yeah, for he... literally one scene. Yeah. But it's, like, the best scene of his career. So. Or at least one of the best scenes of his career. Everyone likes Lance. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, th- that episode kind of just about, like, 
it's, it's Amon guy, literally like making a statement to to the city that like, hey, we're here now. Like, yeah, the fucking buckle Amon's up, motherfuckers. Around. Yeah, shit's gonna be bad. Mm-hmm. You got to deal with it, Cora. Yeah, and that's literally what the next episode is about—the voice in the night, where <laughs> she's already having nightmares about the first villain she's going up against. You know. Yeah. This is one of those things where I think it's, like, why it works with, like, a slightly older Avatar. I think there's something about Aang. Like, Aang had his nightmares about facing the Fire Lord. But his his nightmares were honestly more about, like, he was afraid he'd let everyone down. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was less afraid. I, like, I'm not saying it wasn't a fear, but I think he was less afraid of dying himself. Mm-hmm. And here it's, like, Korra's old enough where she knows enough about the world that you can be afraid of death. You know, like you know that moment in life where that kind of shifts for you. Yep. And like, there's stuff that like happened to me when I was a child where I was like, if I went through that now, it would be like the worst thing that ever happened to me. But because I was a kid and I didn't know any better, I was like, ah, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that course that this like because she's just 17, it's like she knows enough to know how much is riding on her actions and how much danger she's in specifically. Yeah. And I think we, we get to see another side of Republic City here with a politician, Tarlock, Councilman Tarlock, who's um, from the Water Tribe. Because in the Republic City, each councilman is from the different nations, right? Yep. No um, no non-bender councilman, though, worth mm-hmm. noting. Although, how many uh, were on the, the thing? There's five, right? Yeah. Because there's the main one, and then there's one from each nation, including Tenzin, because he's the only... <laughs> One so from the Air Nation. Is one, like, just the mayor of the city or something? I think so. Unless so. I completely, like, misremembering, there might just be four on there, you know? There might be. But... I'm trying to remember how the vote went down. Um, I think I think it's five. I think it's five with tens in there. Okay, you know what? Because I think it's, like, from the Northern Water Tribe and the Southern Water Tribe oh, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Right. If we're fucking that up, we'll, we'll see about it next time for sure. Okay. But, um... But yeah, we, we see him, Tarlock, start to take advantage of like uh, Korra's insecurities. And I think you brought up an interesting point about them being older and as teenagers, you know, uh, when you're growing up and like you're struggling with those insecurities, it's not always easy to talk about them. And so that does lend credence to like Mako sucking and that being like part of his charm because <laughs> he can't express himself. Korra expresses herself, but the moment she's set off balance and she can't punch a problem away she can't express why that's concerning to her and that's what this entire episode's about yeah and it's it's very sad to see because she just keeps putting herself in more and more danger to the point where she's like she becomes a part of like the secret police yeah well Tarlock <laughs> totally second. fucks and fucking like plays her oh no no it totally does yeah he's like oh you so you can join my task force and then he like in front of like all these journalists and shit like that yeah it's it's so seedy and what a fucking politician that's a that's i'm not gonna say stuff this is why the real problem are the politicians and the press (laughs) Uh, which is actually an attitude this world ends up adopting by the final season a little bit (laughs) i don't want to say anything but uh yeah (laughs) so this show goes places um no it totally does um, I, I do. I don't think it's it's on completely solid footing for this season still, but it it does do way more than it's given credit for still. I don't know. I've like, been loving it like so far. I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, we also get to meet the the final main character, uh, uh, Asami Sato. I don't I don't know why I forgot her name. <laughs> she's introduced like most great characters are, um, almost killing Mako by. <laughs> yeah, that's how that's how every character should be introduced. Yeah, and it's like, all right, I love this character. <laughs> yeah. Played by Seychelles Gabriel from the last Airbender film. Yeah, which is wild. <laughs> yeah, this is her redemption arc. Again, she's not even bad in the movie. That movie's yeah. just... You You listen to her episode on it. You know. Oh my god, um, she was in the last Airbender movie and The Spirit from 2008. The Frank oh. Miller-directed Spirit movie. This this show is her redemption arc. Yeah. Because um, she's, she's very good as Asami. Good for her. Yeah, uh, and she is the daughter of the industrialist and inventor of the Sato Mobile, Hiroshi Teddy Sato. Oh, yeah, it's Teddy Roosevelt. No, it's Teddy Roosevelt. Like Teddy it, yep. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, voiced Sato. by Daniel Day Kim. Yes. What a nice fella. He's going to fund the whole team. Yeah. But I like when he first meets Mako, he's like, so, I hear you're dirt poor. <laughs> like, just... <laughs> I admire that. <laughs> from the hip. He's not fucking around. He's like, I'm a yeah. self-made man. I invented the automobile. <laughs> and if you invent an entire thing that dominates all our lives, you can become rich too. He's <laughs> like, gee, thanks. I mean, that's kind of what these shows need to start going for at some point, like down the line. They just need to straight up attack capitalism. I mean, I think a lot of shows kind of do in, like, their own weird way. Yeah. I mean, you know? like, these these shows end up doing it. Even The Last Airbender does it, I think, to, to a certain extent with a lot of stuff going well, on think... there. But, like, it's harder when it's fantasy, I guess, you know, because it's not our reality. So you don't get, like, the one-to-one comparisons. With children's television is because it's marketed as at children, and children don't have any investment in, you know, capitalism yet. Like, all they know is that they get gifts at Christmas. They have no real stake in how capitalism works. So then the shows, like, don't acknowledge capitalism, really. But I think that inadvertently turns kids into socialists. That's the most amazing point you've ever made. (laughs) You know, because it's like we're shown this beautiful world where it's like, oh, we don't have to worry about money that much. And then it's like, get to the real world, it's like, wait, I have to pay seven different people so I can go to the doctor? (laughs) I pay insurance every year, and then they don't cover most of the shit. <laughs> I, I just got mail today telling me I, I wasn't covered for some stuff. I know. I My surgery was <laughs> like like a month ago, and I'm just waiting for that bill to get here. Like, I just know there's going to be the one where they're like, we determined that 30% of it was cosmetic. And it's like, gee, thanks, you fucks. Um, but, th- but this is a, another really great episode. This might be the best one of the bunch so far that we've talked about. At least in my opinion, I, I think it's at least the most emotionally compelling. Yeah. Um, and I, I really well, feel for, for Korra. This is where Mako really sucks. Because he's yes. been fucking totally going, he's been flirting with Korra. And we know that he likes her too, right? Mm-hmm. And then this girl comes in, almost runs him over with the scooter. And then they're just like, he's like, well, she's here. I guess I'll date her, too. <laughs> and he's like, he won't this, the fucking guy can't decide. It's like, hey, man. And, you know, the, the big concern when I first watched this show, um, 
was that like, oh no, right? Like, I think we all kind of felt that. Correct me if I'm wrong. When um, like a love triangle was coming. Yeah, with no uh, Asami and Korra, and it was like, oh no, she's just gonna turn into like competition and like an antagonist. Is this gonna be like an easy out? There's Korra uh, never seems to really get angry at Asami. Mm-hmm. Which what? I. Which, which is something I did. I, I thought that they kind of had like a thing. Maybe it comes later. But I just don't remember it. But she's when she's pissed, she's like, she goes, she's like, oh, hi, uh, fucking Mako's told me so much about you. And then he's like, she's like, oh, well, that's funny. Mako hasn't mentioned you at all. But she's not saying that at Asami. She's saying it at Mako. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's, the, that's when I first started feeling relieved. I remember. I remember that was a big moment for me because I was like, Thank God. Like, okay, we're we're good for right now, but you never know with this kind of shit, you know. Yeah. And we'll a, we'll get there, but it was, it was handled a little better than I remembered it. I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did think that they were gonna kind of fuck it up. Um, mm. But Mako and Asami start dating. It's just Mako. Mako's such a fucking shit. <laughs> it's just like, dude. I forget. It's one of these episodes where she's like, I feel so safe in your arms. And it's just like... Oh, that's this one. That's this one. <laughs> fucking guy. Yeah. <laughs> fucking... Um, and like, and... Oh, I'm going to do something in an episode. <laughs> yeah. And then, so we got that building up and brewing with Korra's, like, anxieties, right? And then like, all those hormones and shit. And then you got Tarlock taking advantage of her and, like, cornering her into, like, joining his, his task force already. And then... She cha- straight up challenges uh, Amon to a duel after um, like ambushing some other equalists and stuff she like that. She calls that punk ass Amon out. Yeah, which is also like another superhero film, Iron Man three. Yeah, it's also a little <laughs> bit um, later because then she goes and like waits for him. They're gonna fight at the statue of Ang, and uh, she waits for him. He doesn't show up, and then she gets like captured. And he kind of gives the speech from the, that the fucking Green Goblin gives. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> About, like, the city will turn on you. <laughs> what if we'll be <laughs> voice voiced them? Whoa. I, I would have been okay with that. See, he should have voiced someone. Stephen Bloom's kind of great in this role, but... Um... Get him for for the next sequel series, because you know I'm still championing that possibility. He should ju- he should just be a lighthouse keeper in everything he's in from now on. <laughs> <laughs> you get close in Aquaman. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah. Cory gets captured by Amon and the Equalists, and then he tells her he's not going to take away her bending now because that'll just make her a martyr. And he, he's a dude body. with a plan. Torture yeah. you. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he's doing, right? But I, I mean, Amon's, that is like... He's doing it better than Bane, though. Bane's plan's just dumb. No, no, Bane's plan makes sense for, for a two and a half hour long movie. I won't Amon's torture plan your makes body. sense for a season of television. I won't torture your body after I've broken your back. Look, a lot happened in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't planning that. I was just going to put you in the hole, but you... you, you Remember, those movies do not operate on literal reality. You they operate in fantasy me. land. <laughs> like, if you, had just, like, if you had just stopped hitting me, we could have settled it a little easier. <laughs> okay, look. <laughs> have, you, have you heard uh, James Adomian voicing Bane? No. <laughs> James Adomian does the voice of Bane on the Harlequin show. Oh, okay. I, I, it, maybe I have then. I've seen three episodes of that. It's pretty funny. Okay. It just gets angry and everything. It's a good show. 
I know it's it's solid. Yeah, it's uh, a lot better than I thought it would be. Yeah, I, I, my first big like scare was like, oh, they're just doing Deadpool with Harley Quinn. Yeah, it looks Stupid. like they were doing that, but she's actually, you know, I, I like that both that and Birds of Prey are about her being like, I gotta get away from the fucking Joker. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, but yeah, and then so so Cora's just left there, and and she, uh, Tenzin shows up to kind of like attempt to rescue her, but they're already gone, and uh, so Cora just finally breaks down in Tenzin's arms and starts crying. That um, she's like terrified and she doesn't know what she's doing, mm-hmm. and it's just a really sad moment. It it totally reminds me of like what the last Airbender used to do when they would have these like really tragic things, like Appa being stolen, and entire episodes devoted to just getting Aang to just cry. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's that's the culmination of a bunch of the best Avatar storytelling, in my opinion. Yeah. Where there's not a big plot revelation, there's not a big action sequence. There, there can be those things, but it's ultimately about characters coming to accept some harsh realities. And, you know, Tenzin comforts her and tells her that, like, the first step to getting over it is acknowledging that there's been this problem, and mm-hmm. he's gonna help her through it. And like, what an ending! Like, fuck, it's four episodes in. Yep. <laughs> the fourth episode of of the Last Airbender, they were hanging out on Kyoshi Island. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Moving yeah, at a slight brisker pace here. Yeah, different. That's that's nuts. Now that you mention that, uh-huh. you point out that that's like wow. <laughs> yeah. So th- I mean, that's that's the beauty of these shows. They're totally different, mm-hmm. and they both offer like such radically different experiences, but still like give me that that, that warm feeling in my tummy. <laughs> I guess I don't know. <laughs> They're good. They're good shows. They're good shows. They're they make my watch. brain happy. They're good for kids. And okay, for we're... very, very sad adults. Yes, like me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, chapter five, the spirit of competition. Everyone's oh, favorite episode. I already regret my notes. <laughs> Do you really? Um, well, because I, I wrote uh, the, the practice is very, uh, there's like awkward humor going on. And Asami shows up with new uniforms. And then I wrote, um, this won't even, no one will even know what I'm referencing when this comes out. <laughs> But I wrote, Bolin being a real movie Bob here. <laughs> Not taking his. <laughs> oh. I apologize to the universe. Yeah, well, I mean, a couple of us made that joke online already, so it's fine. Yeah, I guess. Uh, shout out to Billy who said, not mean enough. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I don't know, that was, even for me. And like... <laughs> I'm, I'm fucking. That was some. That was some wild shit to see go down online one night. Yeah. But here's that was like the thing: three dudes in a row like had crazy shit happen to them in that circle, <laughs> and it was like wild. But here's the thing about Bolin: Bolin does not believe in eugenics. Yeah, here's the thing about Bolin: he doesn't have a YouTube channel. <laughs> um, I feel like you have a lot to say about this episode. Yes, I do. Why um, is it your favorite episode of the bunch? Um, I don't know if I said that. No, no, I'm egging <laughs> you on. Um, well, all right. I think this is a controversial episode. Yes. Is it? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, everyone's wrong. This episode's great. Okay. <laughs> um, this episode works perfectly fine. It does exactly what it's trying to do. 
Um, there's a. I I got. I kind of just have to go through it because this is where okay. it's like the Bolin and uh, Mako thing comes to a head because they're both pining after Korra, right? Mm-hmm. And Korra's definitely in the Mako, but she's kind of like Bolin's nice, but no, my man. <laughs> like <laughs> she's dropping very uh, not so subtle hints. Yeah, she's just not into him. He's just not into the guy. And uh, Bolin and Mako have a conversation. Bolin's like, what do you think of Korra in a girlfriend sort of way? And Mako fucking sucks, because this is what he (laughs) says. She's great, but I think it makes more sense for me to go for a Sami. (laughs) (laughs) But ultimately, the lesson here is these guys both suck. (laughs) <laughs> Bolin a little bit less but he's but I mentioned movie Bob for a reason because that's what he could become <laughs> he's starting down that path if he doesn't get his head straight well here's my thing about this it is much better than I remember also Mm-hmm. I still do not know if I needed an entire episode devoted to it. No, it's great. I don't know. It's um, perfect. But <laughs> it's a perfect episode of television. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, it is very entertaining, and I think what makes it, what separates it from genuinely frustrating, pointless love triangles is that. The writers are clearly aware that these are insecure teenagers who have trouble expressing themselves. Well, here's the it's thing. not the writing that has trouble expressing itself. Here's the thing. The love triangle is dead by the end of the episode. Yes. <laughs> it dies at the end. Of the, it, this isn't like, oh, this is going to be their dynamic for the rest of the series. It They put it in a coffin and fucking throw it out to sea. Like, it's gone at the end. Now, there's some other shit that comes up later, <laughs> but we'll get to that when we get to it. And Bolin improves marginally yeah. by well, um, I, by not having to, like, like uh, egg Korra on, you know? Here's the thing. I think this is where I want to bring up how you said that you think that the Mako Korra thing was inspired by shippers a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think this episode is about, in like, I think it was. I think you're right, but I also think this episode is going why, and this is why that's a terrible idea. Because <laughs> I, I, I really think that's what this episode's trying to say. Because then we immediately cut to uh, fucking Chorus hanging out with Tenzin's girls, and they're trying to give her, like, romance advice. <laughs> and the older one, like, gives her a, like, uh, fucking... She tells her, like, a story of a woman who threw herself into a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, it was so romantic. And then the other girl's solution is a love potion. <laughs> it's like, those are very childish ways to, like, deal with love, right? Mm-hmm. But then Tenzin's wife rolls up, and she gives even worse advice. <laughs> Thank you, Maria Bamford. <laughs> she's like, I just confessed my love. And this is why course interesting, because she's in that... She's in that pocket where it's like, it's between childhood where like she still sees romance in that way of like, oh, destined for each other. We love and, you know, love eternal and all that stuff. And also adult of being like, just say, just be honest and just say how you feel. <laughs> you know, it's like she's got one foot in both worlds. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's not going to work. <laughs> and this is why 
no one marries their high school sweetheart. <laughs> Except for that one friend, and that one friend's weird. So... <laughs> God bless them, but it's strange. Because, <laughs> like, this is the opposite where it's like, you know, all the, the Team Avatar all met when they were children, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, the, the original. And it's like, oh, so they're just going to stay together the rest of their lives? Cool, I guess. <laughs> and this is like, in the, in the real world, especially in a world where, you know, teenager kind of becomes more of a thing, which is teenager is actually like a relatively new concept in the world. It's like, yeah, you're going to go through a lot of relationships before you find the one. <laughs> and so I think that's what this episode's trying to do. You've so made I mean, me like this episode more than I ever have. Yeah. In my entire life. cowards. <laughs> no, no. Surrounded by cowards. I, I think it's a byproduct of the art and entertainment around this franchise more than the actual franchise itself, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, it's almost like I'm reacting to something that's not here. I'm reacting to things that I've experienced outside of Avatar. Mm. You know? I, I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, um, I but I, I, I do want to say one of the greatest moments in this in the season also happens. Uh, I don't know how much you want to break down moment to moment, but I need to mention this. When Korra and Mako get all up in each other's business, and they're like, oh, well, you, I hate you, I hate you, right? And then naturally they kiss, and then, you know... Off in the distance there oh, is little Bolin. <laughs> 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 that oh, is so fucking funny. Oh, no. Fucking Bolin, you idiot. <laughs> Bolin seeing them, seeing fucking... <laughs> he sees Korra and Mako have a fight, and he's like, I'm going to get the rebound. And he fucking... He, <laughs> he gets... Because Mako does the adult thing for half a second which is <laughs> says like I really like you but I'm with Asami right now and so Korra's all heartbroken and then Bolin's like hey we could go out and then you know Korra's a little bit vulnerable in that moment she's like sure and they have a fun time out on the town and this is where I want to I want to go and just punch Bolin and be like just your friends <laughs> be friends this is a friendship you know, outing. This isn't a date outing, really. <laughs> well, Mako can't, I mean, Bolin can't take a fucking hint. No. But, but I I do like in, that he matures a lot real fast by the end of this. Yeah. Uh, they run into some unfortunate folks, though. It was Tano and the Wolf Bats. Oh, yeah, yeah. Voiced, I, I've forgotten the Wolf Bats name. Voiced by... I, I don't know this one. Oh, my God, you don't know it? No. Oh my god, what was the one you were shocked by? Maria Bamford! Oh no, it's fucking Rami Malik. What? <laughs> yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody Teeth himself? Yeah, Academy Award winning Rami Malik. Oh, I Guy hate him now. an entire <laughs> section on his Wikipedia page called Acting Style. No, never mind, this is the worst episode of the franchise. <laughs> He's only, in, no. he's only in, like, three episodes, so... Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, he is in three episodes. He's in two this season, and he gets a cameo later, which is uh, speechless, but... Yeah, also, um... Also, he sucks. Also, he sucks, yeah. All the dudes suck in this show. Kinda, yeah. Important. I think it's a very important lesson. Mm-hmm. It's like Tenzin 
is like finally learning not to suck, and it's a different kind of suck. Yeah. The the teenage guys are all just little shitheads. <laughs> yeah, and then Maka shows up at the end of this and he's like, "What kind of game are you playing at Cora?" Which is like, "What a dick." Yeah. And that's when he. That's when they kiss. And then uh, Bolin cries. And... <laughs> um, and... <laughs> oh no, they no, don't but... kiss yet. They have a game before that, and they oh, they, okay. they wow. kind of fuck up, and then they kiss. And the kiss is a little later because Mako is such a fucking tool. And... <laughs> he's like, he's like, he... Mako might be my favorite character. Because he just sucks so hard. I have never heard someone say that about this show. I like characters that, like, suck. No, I do too, but I've... I wouldn't say that. I like, 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 Janice Soprano might be my favorite Sopranos character. Oh, I get that, yeah. Because she's always got some stupid scheme, and she's always causing (laughs) problems, and she's, like, the worst. Um... She pushed pushed Joey Pants down the stairs in that one episode. <laughs> uh, I'm. I don't know if it's a basic choice, but Korra is is my favorite. It's like Korra yeah. and Zuko are my favorite Avatar characters, like, like by a lot. Yeah. Oh, maybe not. Maybe not by a lot, but just like I, I like the conflicts within those characters a lot. Yeah, Korra's a great character. No. I I just I I feel like I don't know I'm probably lying when I say Mako's my favorite I just I just got <laughs> such I just got such a kick out of how how much he sucked like I I thought I really thought like my notes were like I wrote Mako sucks but like I meant it in earnest like I meant I didn't like him when I wrote it mm-hmm. but I I thought it came later that his him being a dick like became enjoyable. <laughs> like I thought they didn't figure that out till season two, but I'm like, no, they were on they they were on the money in season one. Mm-hmm. But I, I honestly don't know how much I'm talking in hindsight because like knowing how it ends, it makes you read the whole beginning like completely differently. Yeah, yeah. And I don't it's like Mako sucks with like a little heart next to it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much was intentional, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well. Not to get into the whole thing, but the season was initially produced to be a standalone thing, and yeah. then they got the green light for two seasons, and then they got 52 episodes, and this was all during the first season's production. Mm-hmm. So the first season's production was like a mess because of it, because they were like, okay, um, we have to stretch this out. No, we have to reshape this arc. We have to. It, it went into, through like a lot of work, basically. So I, I I couldn't tell you like what went where initially or yeah, like I, what I the don't plan know either, was, but it, it works for me. Like mm-hmm. I I don't know. I I just it it worked. It just works. <laughs> Todd Howard. <laughs> <laughs> um. And yeah. And then like they all self destruct. They almost lose the game because they're fucked up in the head. Because they're all like all got drama going on. Which I mean, again, they're teenagers. We. We all kind of went through something like this. Yeah. In high school. If, like, you know, maybe we weren't the, the the center of it, but we always had to deal with friends who were, like, in the middle of shit. Like, I had that a lot. Where <laughs> it was like, oh, I, oh, this group's arguing with this group now, and now I'm being judged if I don't immediately join one side. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> Remember high school? Oh boy, do I! <laughs> um, but no, and then by by the end, they're all they're all friends again. They all, but they don't. 
except for Bolin and Korra, um, like everyone settles the, the beef with Bolin. Mm-hmm. Mako and Korra don't really settle it. Like they do, but like the air of like what's like transpired already, yeah. like definitely sticks around with well, them I too. I think what sticks around is, um, Asami, I kiss your boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that would be a moral conflict. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't know. That's a that's a difficult move. That's a mm-hmm. difficult thing to navigate. Uh, but Korra does finally say something nice to Asami. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to end the episode. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, chapter six, and the winner is this is the big big bane moment where yeah. they they just attack the stadium. But uh, a couple things before that. Uh, the, the the pro bending arena the ca- the council of Republic City decides not to cancel the championship even though Amon has like threatened to to make a statement there basically yeah he's like I'm gonna fucking attack the stadium and they're like I don't know should we do it and so you know this this just makes me think initially right now like I was complaining about how like or I was saying that like I it'd be nice if these kind of shows like directly attacked at capitalism this might be the first like indictment of it because it's like well we can't close the arena <laughs> like yeah. well i mean to like, be fair they were all kind of like um no we're gonna we're gonna cl- we're not gonna we're gonna close it like we're gonna do it but then it turns into the problem where they're like hey man you know a lot of people's careers are tied up in this which mm-hmm. is a reason why capitalism sucks yeah um, but then lynn bayfarm's like we do not negotiate with terrorists <laughs> And which you know, hey. Everyone remember that spiel? I remember when that was a thing. <laughs> remember when that was a thing? Wait a minute, but did Al Qaeda ever try to negotiate? No. What sort of stance is that? It it makes the people in power look good. That's all that was. Yeah. I mean like Well yeah, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. Remember the Axis of Evil? That's a Puppet Master subtitle. Yeah, but it was literally like, it was like, Axis of Evil. Um, Iraq, Iran, and North Korea. (laughs) And it's like, these countries don't like each other. (laughs) Yeah, but it sounds good. Historically, Iraq and Iran don't like each other. (laughs) To the point where if we removed the leadership of Iraq, it would actually be bad if we also had a problem with Iran. (laughs) Anyone think this through? (laughs) Anyways, this is an action-heavy episode, and it's terrific. Mm. It's, it's, I, I don't know, I don't really have a lot here. It's just, Amon makes a big attack on basically like he upends like the the kind of like home roots Korra has established in Republic City yeah. uh Rami with her Malik like public life. Rami Malik loses his bending, yes. Even though the game was rigged in his favor. Yeah. Then, well it's also like and then Amon's come out, he's like, Did you see these cheaters? Mm-hmm. Like Amon's sucks. Amon like actually sucks. Like he's not like fun sucks. Like he sucks. No, no, he's he's scary. He's scary. No, he's a good villain. Yeah. You, the villain is supposed to suck. Yeah. But it's like, also, he sucks. <laughs> um, but this is also where we get, this episode is where we um, get confirmed that uh, Tenzin and uh, Lin had a relationship at one point. That's it. That's in the opening of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, which is important, because that comes up a lot. And it's like, where we get these weird details of like, 
you know part of the reason why that relationship didn't work is because there was so much pressure on him to have airbender children. Yeah. You know? That's why mm-hmm. he marries a non-bender. Like, that's fucked up. <laughs> it, it is a little fucked up, and especially makes the the um, revelation by Pema in the previous episode a little weirder, too. Yeah. Also, but there's that moment where uh, Tenzin starts going on about, like, we were just drifting apart, you know? Things happen. And he's like, wait, why am I telling you this? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a, it's just, just a great moment. I, also, I do feel like this show is kind of like, it's poking fun at Avatar The Last Airbender a little bit, because that would have really led into a story, you know? Mm-hmm. And here it's like, we're not doing that. Like, they're really going out of the way to be like, we're not doing Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. This is Legend of Korra. <laughs> yeah. Um... Oh, and, and Korra and uh, Chief Lin Beifong get to team up for a little bit for the first time. It's the first time these characters kind of just, like, work together in tandem, yeah. you know? And, like, it's it's kind of That's funny because fun. they're both very strong-headed women and obviously respond more uh, to violence initially than, like, <laughs> actual, like, sharing of emotions. So, naturally, them tag-team in an action sequence is how they start connecting with each other, you know? Yes. Yeah. And the action is just, like, spectacular. I don't, I don't really have any notes about it. It's just, it's really it's, impressive stuff. It's, it's really fun. I think Korra definitely killed a guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's not a, she's not an airbender, like, tends in her angst. So she's like, I will fuck you up. You she's know? like, throws a guy, and we see his body land. And, like, that guy is dead. <laughs> so, uh, but hey, you know, Korra, Korra goes, beats by, goes by the beat of a different drum. Yeah, yeah, she she doesn't have an entire like nation's upbringing to uphold. Yeah, so she gets she gets a little more leeway. So murder you know? is fine now. <laughs> <laughs> Which I would argue is a point of the arc of the series and her character specifically. It, it, it might actually be. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, we'll get there. And, yeah. So uh, at the end of the city, I mean, the end of the episode, they say Republic City is at war. Dun, dun, dun. And, yeah, it's it's the Dark Knight Rises. That's that's yeah. really really teed us up for that summer. Precious Armory. That didn't happen. No, but, no. Actually, it kind of does, but it hasn't it happened yet. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing about um, why there's like some weird stuff around Asami because like you kind of wonder if she's gonna be like a third act villain reveal, you know? Because mm-hmm. there's yeah. definitely, if you're reading between the lines, there's definitely some evidence pointing towards her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, we'll have to talk about that next time yeah. when we're talking about the back half of Book One, Air. And uh, we'll see how Korra manages airbending because we kind of got sidetracked a little bit with that in the series. And I would argue that that was intentional. But again, we'll talk about that next time. Matt, where can the people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN1 at Twitter.com. And you could follow me at the Diego Crespo. Check out the Wolf Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon, where you can check out other episodes of Book One and hopefully Book Two by the time this is out. Also, if get not access to the three-hour recording of this episode. That's I. I will. You know what? Yeah, I'll upload the full three-hour version of this, which is somehow longer than the last Airbender finale episode, <laughs> which is fucking insane. Um, Wait a minute. But, that that's longer than these six episodes combined. Oh my god. <laughs> we did it! 
No. We did it. <laughs> no. <laughs> like and subscribe. If you didn't like this episode, like and subscribe anyways because you might find something you do like. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. Unprofessional.